John Moltz, my friend, how are you on this? How are you on this Friday, late July? Sweaty. <laughs> I, I had to turn the air conditioning off, so I might be profusely sweating by the time this is done. If I was smarter, man, if I was, if I were a much smarter man, I would have turned the AC down hours ago, and then mm-hmm. instead I left it at seventy three. So. Oh yeah, so it's not like super. It's not yeah. It's not going to last you. And as I sat here, waiting waiting for this to start, the 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 weather outside went from overcast to sunny. Uh huh. It's beating right down on my desk. That's no, that's no good. Just thinking about it is making me sweaty. But it cooled off there, right? Yeah, it did. We we had yeah. we had like a, a stretch of about eight or nine days where uh, it was mid nineties with really high humidity. Um, I don't know if it's the same thing. There, there's the heat index, and then there's the the quote unquote feels like, which I'm a big believer in. I actually uh, almost wish that I could change some of my weather apps to prefer the feels like as opposed to the official. Here's what a thermometer says the temperature is because I feel like it's a much more accurate gauge. We yeah. were down in uh, Orlando at the beginning of the month for for some time at the uh, Disney parks and the Universal and et cetera, et cetera. You know, July down in orlando it's yeah perfect time to go yeah it's <laughs> absolutely beautiful uh well you know what we time it right though we've we do this every year and we we have it scheduled so that like the last two days last two or three days even we spend a lot most of the time at the pool and it's that's oh, okay. actually kind of nice so yeah. you like you like kill yourself going on all these uh, rides for a couple of days and then uh, yeah spend some time at the pool um but anyway it was general and this is orlando florida in july it was generally like plus eight on the feels like index so if it said it was 94 (laughs) it would be like feels like 102 the other at the end of this heat wave in philly it was plus 13 it was like i swear to god it was like 93 degrees and it was like feels like 107 it was that thick and humid it was it was pretty bad Nothing wrong with the climate, though, I'll tell you. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. It's all going to work out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know this because we're on, on a Slack together. Amy and I went to see the uh, the Rolling Stones here in Philadelphia yeah. Um, yeah. Tuesday night at the uh, the Lincoln Financial Field. Now, that was after the heat wave broke. So it was actually pretty pleasant. We actually had rain during the concert, but it was sort of a light rain. It wasn't a heavy rain, so it was it was all very pleasant. Uh Boy, it could have been. None of them, I, I none would have of them much, melted. None of them melted. Keith, maybe almost. <laughs> they getting a little soft, but they didn't melt. Can I just say? I I would just like to say to start the show that I, I it's like the jokes about the Rolling Stones being old started when I was a kid. You know, like in the in the <laughs> '80s. You know, like I've always been a fan of the Rolling Stones. It's a it's a band. My mom, God bless her, turned me on to. Although my mom. Uh, like, I don't know if it was a sign of the times or what, but my mom, like, tuned, completely tuned out of popular music as soon as I was born. <laughs> so every, oh, yeah. she didn't buy yeah. any, like, she had, like, no records after 1973. I, so, think like, typ- I think that's a sort of typical parent thing. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm probably as guilty of it as anybody. I'm, I, yeah. I probably tuned out before, <laughs> before Jonas right. was born. Mm-hmm. Um but like so, my childhood, I loved listening to her Beatles and Stones records uh, 
she was you know had big on both but they were all sort of like mid 60s and so it was yeah. older stuff yeah. um, always a fan of the stones you know for most of my life probably if you press me to say who's your favorite band i probably would have said the rolling stones from 10 years old through today uh, but the jokes about them being old started you know like in the 80s and and i feel like they've gotten so old and it's still still the same thing that nobody even jokes about it. You know what I mean? Like they've looped around and everybody I, I honestly I just think people are like uh they're just in awe. It was funny. We had seats it was at the football stadium, the Lincoln Financial Field. And don't don't get great, me don't, a great name. Don't get me started on stadium names. <laughs> Number one, it's been the Lincoln I think fi- we've already talked about that. Yeah. It has been the Lincoln Financial Field ever since they built the damn thing. Uh I, I still have I have no idea what Lincoln Financial is. <laughs> I, I don't know. So it's really working. <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't think it's a bank. Uh, I, I think I don't know what it is. I, but it, yeah, the the money money well spent. But anyway, we had seats probably at like the equivalent of the fifty yard line, maybe a little bit closer, more like the forty five yard line. But they were on the aisle in the stones. There's a big stage up front with some of the biggest, brightest displays I've ever seen in my life. I, it's unbelievable that these things get like trucked around the country for the concerts i mean they're way bigger taller brighter than most of the similar type signage on like the las vegas strip which is like permanent 365 Mm -hmm. days a year Mm -hmm. just unbelievable but they had like this sort of uh like a catwalk that came out from the stage to maybe like the 50 yard line and Mick would, you know, sometimes run out there, and then they, they, the whole band came out for an acoustic set, like ha- you know, two or three songs halfway through the show, and we were really close to that part of the stage. It was really cool, but we're right on the aisle, and uh, it, it's sort of an aisle between us and this catwalk that comes out forty yards from the main stage, and we're waiting for the concert to start, and the, uh, you know, as people are wont to do at a concert, people, people with, you know, tickets in the back might try to wander up. To oh, the yeah. front, sure. Uh, and the security people were right on top of it. Were very clear. And at one point, <laughs> it made Amy laugh out loud. Uh, somebody came up and was like, you know, saying, like, "I just want to come up here and dance." And and the security guard said to her, "Ma'am, this is an older audience. You never know. We might have a medical emergency. We need to keep this aisle clear." <laughs> I swear to God, Amy almost died because, and it was we could somebody laugh. Might, somebody might break a hip. That's <laughs> right. Somebody might break a hip, and it's wet. You know, it's somebody might <laughs> might be a slip and fall. So now the jokes are about the fans. Yes, exactly. And it is it is so true. Like if you if you're you know mid forties, maybe even you know maybe fifty, maybe up to fifty five. You want to feel young. You want to feel good about yourself. <laughs> Go to a Rolling oh Stones God. concert. Wow. Yeah, that's that's probably that's better. Yeah, I mean, I've done I've done the opposite, which I think is about when I stopped going to, <laughs> to live music because <laughs> I was with a friend and we were looking around, we're like, oh my God, <laughs> we're the old guys. people here. We're the old guys. <laughs> oh man, I we will say we got to stop coming to these. I it is amazing. Mick Jagger, I looked it up. I did the research. He's seventy six years old. Which is stunning. He looks absolutely fantastic. I, I really, I mean, I can't say I got super close to him, and you know, but I mean, he certainly fit. Uh, I think he has done an incredible service. 
to himself. I mean, he's obviously, you know, coloring his hair. He's, you know, his hair's still brown. But, <laughs> but he's not <laughs> doing, think? you know, and, yeah, but he's not doing the plastic surgery thing. You know, I mean, his face yeah. is craggled and, and, you know, he's, his, you know, yeah. he's doing it the right way. Yeah. In my I think their, their initial aging was, you know, is the Indiana Jones thing. It's not the right. years, it's the mileage, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, and totally. Then, and then that's why they probably mostly stayed the same since then. Right. Uh, the other, you know, Ron Wood looks great. Charlie Watts is uh, the drummer. It looks amazing, and and also just is like the least rock and roll guy you'll ever see. He just he was just wearing like a green Oxford shirt. <laughs> like, like, I said, Davey, I was like, he's dressed like I dress. <laughs> he's just wearing a plain green shirt. Looks like it came from the Gap or something. Uh, Keith, you know, Keith is doing something with his hair now that I, I have to say I would I would probably advise him against. Just sort of got like a, a shoe polish <laughs> look. Uh, I think it looked a little better when it was sort of gray and wiry and, and, Mm -hmm. but you know, he sounds good. The sound stone sounded amazing. It's a great, it was a great concert. You have to say, and God almighty, I hope I'm uh, still doing what I do when I'm 76 years old. God bless him. (laughs) Doing doing the talk show live and a security guy says, this is an older crowd. Yeah. We need to keep these aisles clear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, anyway my idea for this is that we would do a q a episode and so thinking ahead yeah. uh two or three hours ago i asked yeah, you just you destroyed my mentions i asked uh people on twitter for their questions uh i think this should be fun i think there's a lot of stuff in here i i'm not going to organize these in any sort of topical way so we'll skip around uh unless you object no, but it seems seems like too much work to actually exactly. Them. Yeah, we and we should have done it beforehand. Which oh, obviously, obviously we did not do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gave my intern the day off. Okay. Yeah. Well, he deserves it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Here's the first question from Lincoln Roselle. He asks, "Who do you think the next Bond will be, and who do you want it to be? Do you care about James Bond? Everybody knows I like James Bond. I I do. I, I probably don't care as much as you do, but um, I do care." Uh, and didn't they they announce something like someone's going to be the next 007, right? Uh yeah, the, I I'm trying or Was that a rumor? To, or no, cuz I didn't read that whole thing. Yeah, I'm trying to remain, you know, I'm doing my spoiler-free thing with this uh still still untitled Bond 25 film, but something okay. I did see something to the effect of that that so, I don't know if it's true or not, but that some uh I think it's a woman mm-hmm. is already, you know, somehow it's leaked that in this next film, she's 007. And so right. I guess the assumption there she's is... She's not James Bond, right. but she's 007. But that somehow James Bond has either lost his 00 status or retired from his yeah. 00 status, and he's been uh, right. replaced in the ranks as 007 right. by, by a woman. Which would be an interesting twist, I suppose. Uh, I guess it depends sure. on, on how they want to play the continuity game going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it is funny. I was thinking about this. I forget where somebody somebody was tweeting something about Bond. Oh, I I think I linked it up on Daring Fireball, where somebody ranked all of the Bond villains from all twenty four films and ranked them from uh, worst to best. Which was, I didn't necessarily agree with his rankings in a lot of ways, but I thought it was just it's just an enormous amount of work because it's an awful lot of vill- any villain. Or henchman who was worthy of a name, you know, as opposed to like henchman two, was was in the listings and ranked. Uh, but one of the things he pointed out, and I, I think back in the day when Dan Benjamin and I were doing the uh, 
let's go through one at a time and and at the end yeah. of each show do a review of of the bond movies i think we touched on this because we did them in chronological order but it, when you look at them in the aggregate and especially when you look at today's blockbuster movie world um especially i would say most especially with the marvel quote-unquote cinematic universe uh where these films uh, tie together almost like tv episodes you know you kind of need to watch them in order and the characters from the various films good guys and bad guys pop up in the other ones and then they have the avenger ones where they're all supposed to be there and, and it's it's tons and tons of continuity the bond movies in the early decades, the sixties and seventies had like the most ridiculous <laughs> lack oh, yeah. of continuity. Like the, yeah, was, the only, <laughs> con- the only the same continuity. actor coming back playing two different, two different characters. <laughs> right. They, they had a guy, uh, uh, in you, you only live twice, which is the one where bond goes to Japan. Sean Connery goes to Japan and he meets uh, somebody from MI6 who's been like the station chief in Tokyo for a long time. And he's, you know, even though he's very British, he's like dressed up in like a Japanese kimono and yeah, <laughs> lives in a very Japanese yeah, house and then get stabbed in the back. <laughs> oh, and that was the scene. It's a famous scene where uh, he offers Bond a martini and says uh, stirred, right? or stirred not shaken which of course is backwards from his preference but bond being the gentleman that he is says yes that's perfect uh it was a, it's a very nice little scene of sort of british uh politeness mm-hmm. um but anyway that same actor played blofeld in diamonds right. are forever like which right. is like four years later and they did no makeup there's no makeup he has the same hairstyle it's just the same guy <laughs> it's the same yeah. guy <laughs> Like, so not only did they not, well, have... I, I think it's, I mean, you know, back then it might show on TV every once in a while, but nobody had video, you know, there right. no VHS tapes floating right. around of it or anything like right. that. So it's like, y- you wouldn't remember. Right. 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 It, it just was. So they could get away with it. Right. The only, the only characters who they consistently cast, the Bond, of course, and then Money Penny and M. M. Uh, and Q. And Q. Uh, that was it. Other than those four, they would just <laughs> they would recast yeah, anything goes. Anybody and everybody. <laughs> One movie, the first movie, uh, Felix Leiter is Jack Lord, and he looks uh, cool AF. You know, looks you know. To me, any good Felix Leiter should look like a guy who should have his own series of films. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, like two movies later, he was like an old man going to KFC. <laughs> <laughs> like a befuddled old man. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Anyway, who do we want as the next Bond? I don't know. Everybody, the name at the top of everybody's list is I- I- Idris Elba uh, of various fame, including The Wire and a bunch of other great movies. Uh, I certainly wouldn't object to it. He's certainly cool. Uh, yeah. You know, th- the fact that he's black doesn't matter to me at all. I think that would be. It's sort of a cool thing to do, actually. And, of course, you know, there's some weird corner of the Internet that would go crazy the way right. that... Of course. You know, they, they, there's people who've gone crazy because they're going to make a live-action uh, uh, 
Little Mermaid, Disney. You know how Disney's yeah. take Disney's taking all of these classic animated cartoons mm-hmm. and then making and live, live action. action ones for absolutely right. no good reason. It's very, very, <laughs> very strange. Like that was my th- take on the. I didn't it's, see. I think it's. I think it's to make money. I'm pretty I, sure I, that's the reason. Right, that you can somehow make more money by spending a hundred million dollars to make a live action lion king that just remakes the animated version but you make 500 million in worldwide box office that i guess they wouldn't have made if they just put the animated version back in but anyway apparently they've cast a a young african-american woman as the little mermaid and of course there's they're not racist at all they just you know (laughs) <laughs> They're just pointing out how a black person could not be a mermaid. Right. And I, this news broke. Scientifically speaking. Right. Right. That's the thing. You guys realize that the if there's a realism problem with the character, it's the it fact. It sort of went away at fish person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't think a black mermaid is realistic, <laughs> you really might want to. I'm out. Forget yeah. it. I can't believe this anymore. Uh, so anyway, this, 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 I, I was fine at singing mermaid. <laughs> who also who turns into a real woman, right? Who Which turns is, into a real woman. There's, there's a lot of scientific problems with the... Uh, <laughs> but I'm out at black. Yeah, you count me out. Yeah. Uh, so it, it would almost be worth it if they cast Idris Elba just to see those reactions and watch people's heads sure. blow up and then watch the yeah. movie still yeah. go on to make 600 gazillion dollars. Yeah. Uh, well, people have already flipped out when he was in uh, the, the Marvel movies. Yeah. Yeah. Playing Heimdall. Yeah. And I have to say the way that Hollywood uh, works and that they the way that it, there's sort of a hive mind mentality you know, that when something works, like, uh, you know, I don't know how long it was before there were big budget space shooters, but then Star Wars comes out and then every other movie in the late 70s, you know, even the James Bond movie, Moonraker, all of a sudden they're going into outer space shooting lasers at each other. <laughs> uh, I would have to think that the phenomenal critical and box office success of Black Panther uh, certainly w- would motivate people to cast, you know, uh, someone like Idris Elba in a, in a big, big role like that. Um, and it's a shame that you have to have somebody, you know, they're just following the lead, but it's, I, I think yeah. it's a good thing for, uh, just the overall diversity of, of the casting in these big budget action movies. Mm-hmm. So that would be great. I think he would be fantastic in a role. I think he's, you know, certainly got the gravitas. He's got the voice. He's got the cool. You can absolutely positively see him and just imagine him in a nice tuxedo ordering. Oh yeah. A, a vodka martini. Sure. Absolutely. The downside to Idris Elba is that he's already 47 years old. Right. I was, was going to say, he's and, kind of old now. I mean, and, you know, and people have been talking about it for 10 years. <laughs> right. And so, uh, you know, presumably, you know, if this is the last movie that, uh, uh, Christ, what's his name? <laughs> Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig makes, which it's, you know, he's had a good run. It was rumored that the last one was going to be the last one that he would do. Uh, five movies is a hell of a run in the role. And he, you know, wants to go on to other things. It certainly makes sense that this is probably going to be his last one. You would think, though, they'd want to recast it with someone who himself could make five movies. And maybe at 47, right. Idris Elba is a little too old. Yeah. One of the yeah. things that, that <laughs> like, people... Like when they cast Roger Moore. <laughs> 
Well, one of the <laughs> sort of ran into a problem toward the end. <laughs> definitely ran into a problem at the end. And one of the things that was curious about casting Roger Moore is Roger Moore was actually a year or two older than Sean Connery. Right. Um, so he was already older than Sean Connery when he took over the role. Uh, I think d- did very, very fine uh, through the 70s. And then yeah. by the 80s, yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah, sort he, of looked the part. And he, I, had the, <laughs> he had the old man run by then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his last was A View to a Kill in 1985. And it, it's, it's a funny little, you know... Uh, Bond trivia thing that 1985 was also the year that Never Say Never Again came out, which was the only Bond movie that was not from the same production team because of a a very long running legal squabble over the rights to the novel Thunderball, where there was this other guy who apparently had worked with Ian Fleming on a television play or script and they you know it was basically the story of thunderball what if what if terrorists could could hijack a nuclear uh missile on a jet you know by by mm. by getting a pilot to be a double actor um they it never came to fruition and then ian fleming went ahead, went ahead and just made a novel with the basic plot called thunderball long run you know they ended up making that movie um but this guy i forget his name doesn't really matter but he eventually won the legal rights to to co-own the plot and the name james bond and so never say never again is a very strange movie because it doesn't have the same theme song because that obviously belonged to the eon productions the credits were very strange but they did convince sean connery to take the role which is really the only way it got made. And Connery did it just because he had a, a falling out with the Albert Cubby from Eon and just want, wanted to stick it to him. <laughs> <laughs> but so in 1985, there were two Bond movies. There was Never Say Never Again starring Sean Connery and uh, View to a Kill with Roger Moore. And View to a Kill actually did better at the box office. But uh, I think Sean Connery clearly l- better looked the part. And yeah. And it was interesting because at least in Never Say Never Again, at the beginning, they sort of ad- acknowledge that he's old Bond, you right. know, and there's he, there's a new M who is clearly, you know, like maybe 15, 20 years younger than Bond himself and does the famous scene where he tells him he's got too many free radicals, <laughs> free radicals, sir. And he goes, yes, it's from uh, too much red meat, too much bread, too many vodka martinis. And <laughs> And Connery, without missing a beat, says, then I shall endeavor to cut down on my bread. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, they they at least acknowledge that he was older and sort of at the end of his career, whereas never our view to a kill. There's no acknowledgement whatsoever that Roger Moore is a 60 year old man who can't really run up a flight to be out there. Yeah. Just like fighting people. And And I, I don't think the makeup team or the cinematographer really did him any any. No, any justice either. Yeah. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't really get a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, Idris Elba, I would give a thumbs up to with the provision that uh, who knows, you know, can he go for you know, and especially nowadays these Bond movies, even if they you know start, they're such major major blockbuster productions that you know they come three four years apart. So if he's going to do five, you know, you're, you're talking maybe twenty years. You know, I, I really. I don't. I don't care what kind of 
condition. I mean, it could be Mick Jagger, right? But you don't want Bond as a 67-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think we learned that. We learned that lesson. Unless it's, unless it's a very different movie. <laughs> uh, anybody who's got an English accent and is handsome and vaguely tall is often yeah. mentioned uh, as a Bond. Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston? Hiddleston. Uh, Hiddleston. Yeah. Uh, who probably is best known as Loki in the uh, back to the Marvel universe. Um, he's often mentioned and he did a, a, I'll recommend this here. I don't know if you ever watched it. There was a TV series. I forget what network it was on. It was like a eight or 10 episode TV series called the, uh, the night manager. Uh, and he plays, you know, a vague, you know, a sort of a spy, you know, it, it seems sort of like his Remington steel. Uh, yeah. You know. Well, that was that was the comparison I was going to draw too, because he right. seems like a more Pierce Brosnan-y. Yeah. Um, yeah, like he would be a more Pierce Brosnan-y Bond. And I I like Pierce Brosnan as Bond a lot more than I thought I was going to for sure. And I think he did a fair job. I think he was in some bad movies. But. Yeah, he was in some really bad movies. I I, I think he he got. I, I think he was born for the role. I think he was absolutely fantastic at it, and really got stuck with uh, just some god awful movies. Yeah. If, if you just watch Goldeneye, you 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 can really appreciate what a great Bond he was. Mm -hmm. Don't uh, watch the other ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite thing <laughs> is I was watching some documentary at one point. Uh, I don't know. It was like to commemorate the fiftieth anniversary of Bond or something like that. And they talked to a whole bunch of the actors. Of course, Sean Connery wouldn't wouldn't participate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even even Pierce Brosnan got mixed up between the titles of his movies, and he totally he totally acknowledged that he forgets which one's which. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember no. either. No, um, it doesn't. So it doesn't sound like this this woman is going to be James Bond. But if they were going right. to cast a woman, I was going to throw out Frankie Adams, who mm -hmm. is um, she's from New Zealand, so she's not British per se. But um, she is in the Expanse. Uh, and she plays Bobby Draper in The Expanse, and she's just a she's a badass. Frankie uh, Adams. Show. Frankie Adams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, maybe you know, like I, uh, if they wanted to cast a woman, I, I, I think it's, I think that's probably better served to create a new character, like, and you know, maybe, maybe. I'm on, maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. You know, maybe this is me being, you know, on the spectrum of saying I can't, I can't imagine a black guy as James Bond. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I sort of it feel depends on, it depends on how much you define misogyny as part of right. the role. <laughs> uh, exactly. Right. Uh, I, you know, I do. I like the trend of putting women in uh, serious action roles in within the movies. You know, mm -hmm. the new money penny is a badass. Um, as opposed to all of them being damsels in distress type characters. Uh, yeah. But we shall see. I don't know. I, I also feel like the best thing they could do is go in a different direction. Pick somebody who in some ways is not Daniel Craig. Yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. just to – and it's part of what made the, the Roger Moore transition work is that he didn't try to do Sean Connery at all. He was just yeah. very, very comfortably Roger Moore, for better or for worse, you know. And I think mm -hmm. in some ways better for the 70s. Yeah. But in a way that didn't age as well. There's not as much retro cool to, to yeah. his movies to me. I think in general, I like a Bond who seems like he's 
unbelievably a good fighter. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I don't think really Roger Moore really pulls that off that well. I mean, maybe, maybe early on he can, he, he, uh, he gets by, but well, I and, always, <laughs> and less so Pierce Brosnan as well, but even though I, I like him. I always said I, I always thought that rewatching the the Moore movies, and I think it was to his credit that that he turned Bond into a little bit more of a superhero, um, and, and he always came across and somehow made it feel right. Like he came across as a Bond who had already read the screenplay and knows that he's going to survive <laughs> and wind up, you know, wind up in a floating spacecraft with uh, making out with a beautiful woman at the very end of the movie. Like, and so no matter how dire his circumstances, he, he really was like, eh, I'm not going to worry about this. Right, I, right. Wink. I, got, I got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't nothing more on the bond thing. Anything anything else on that? We're not going to make no. through many questions at this pace, but there's yeah. a, there's a big topic. <laughs> uh let me take the first break here and thank our first sponsor. Uh I think it's the first time sponsoring the talk show, but they're a longtime sponsor of Daring Fireball, Jamf Software. J A M F. It's easy to keep track of your own Mac, iPad, or iPhone. But what about all the other Apple devices at work? As your business grows, so does its digital inventory, making it harder to manage everyone's Apple devices. This is especially true if employees are remote, and in a lot of small startups, everybody's remote. Jamf now makes it easy to set up, manage, and protect your Apple devices. You can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, enforce passcodes, protect company data, and even lock or wipe a device as needed from anywhere. Jamf now helps you manage your devices so you can focus on your business instead. No IT experience needed. That's the whole point of it. You don't need to hire an IT staff. You just use Jamf. Listeners of the talk show can start securing their business today by managing their first three devices for free. Add more starting at just two bucks a month per device. Create your free account today at Jamf, J-A-M-F dot com slash the talk show that's jamf.com slash the talk show great great service really really recommend them to anybody who's managing their devices has a small business uh what about you any questions pop out to you so far matt howie asked about uh, a dream laptop hmm. basically hmm. that's a good question i, I got that that was him right yeah, yeah. well you want to go first um I think well the best laptop I feel like I've had the best Mac laptop I feel like I've had uh, was the 11 inch Air for me. Um, he was saying something about uh, building it from scratch, so uh, but I'm not sure I can <laughs> I can do that in my head. <laughs> um, and I feel like looking back, I feel like I maybe would have been happy with a 13 inch, like maybe more, even though I stuck with the 11 inch and loved it for so long. Um, I do like a slightly bigger screen, so I think I. I'm kind of thinking like something that would be the current 13 inch MacBook Air, um, but with a you know a keyboard that actually you know a scissoring keyboard instead of a butterfly. Yeah, both for feel and for reliability. Yes, right. Um, and and no, yeah, no, uh, no touch bar, but but yes, with the um, Touch ID. Uh, hmm. I uh, I would say I'll start out by saying this. I bought uh, I own two computers right now, an iMac which I'm in front of right now, 
and a 13-inch MacBook Pro. And I bought both of them in 2014. So they're now both five years old. I've been thinking about this a lot. I should write it up for Daring Fireball. I'm not even sure which one I would rank first or second, but they're clearly the two best Macs I've ever bought in my life. And they have both served me incredibly well with incredible reliability. They both still feel fast to me. I, I suspect the MacBook Pro in particular, uh, like when I last summer I spent six weeks on a review unit of the then new 15 inch MacBook Pro, and I definitely could feel that some things were faster. Um, so I suspect uh, I'm, I'm, it's my lack of, you know, once you go to a faster machine, it's not so much that it feels faster. Mm. It's that when you go back to the old one, it feels slow. Feels slow. So I, <laughs> I suspect that there, you know, I'll probably re re replace that MacBook Pro first, but my iMac, I, I can't think of anything that's slow. It's just an unbelievable machine. Um, I love that MacBook Pro. Uh, it's a 13 inch 2014 MacBook Pro. It's a little thick by today's standards compared to the current 13-inch MacBook Pro, but it's got I, I, the SD card slot I use, I use rarely, but when I do use it, like on vacation, to offload uh, photos from a, a quote-unquote real camera to keep the SD card on the camera free for shooting more photos and video. You know, it, it, do I ha could I put a dongle in my backpack? I think I have one that's USB-C so that I can connect it to, like, an iPad or something. I don't know. I've got a lot of dongles in my backpack. But it's nice not to have to fish around for it. Uh, mm -hmm. It is nice to have more USB ports than I need. It is nice. I love MagSafe. Uh, I really find that, in hindsight, to be such a curious regression. I, uh, I, like, I like MagSafe, too, but I am probably just as happy with USB-C for power because, right. well, for several reasons. I, I do like switching, being able to switch size, you know, any port. I mean, like, if I'm in a hurry, I can <laughs> I can fumble around and find a port, and I don't need to care which one it is, which was not a, really that much of a problem with a MagSafe, obviously, because it would find right. it pretty much on its own. But uh, the thing that I like the most is being able to get other chargers that mm -hmm. I can rely on Yeah, because... Getting MagSafe, getting you know non Apple MagSafe chargers is, was not a good idea. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so you were basically stuck getting like getting a... an Apple branded one, and you know, and they're like seventy bucks or something. Right. You're always worried that it's going to be like one of those sparking space yeah. guns. Yeah, yeah, it's going to like blow up in your face. <laughs> so um, it's nice being able to get other power options for like you know you can get a good one for forty bucks at most. Yeah, I, I totally accept that there's a trade off there on universality and. You know, and being able to share a charger between iPad and MacBook, um, mm -hmm. you know, like on vacation just earlier this month, Amy didn't even know. She, I mean, she's a normal person, so she doesn't pay attention. But she was very, very pleased that Jonas's MacBook Air from last year uses the same charger as her iPad Pro. So he could charge overnight and then uh, she could just plug it in while we went out for the day, you know, and it's mm -hmm. what just one last plug littering your hotel yeah, room yeah um so i'm, I'm a, i accept the demise of magsafe i miss it um the but what i would want in a in a new laptop is first and foremost i would want a keyboard that has a good feel i want yeah uh, I, and yeah. I, I i just write so much on my macbook i just want the keyboard to feel great and i don't like the feel of the butterfly ones and i know some people do but i don't i want more travel um yeah uh, other than that, I, I guess the, the I other just, thing he asks about is touchscreen or no? No, 
I, I, I don't want okay. to touch I thought, I thought that's what you were going to say. No, I really I'm on don't. the fence. I guess I'm on the fence. But the only reason I think yes, maybe, is because every once in a while after using my iPad, I will I will have to resist the urge to touch the screen to do something on the on the MacBook. Well, I well, I mean, we could do a whole episode on it, but I yeah, don't I mean, want a touch I, screen, and I realize and and you can't just put the touch screen on. Like right. you have to you have to redesign the the operating system. Right. Just the just the red, yellow, green buttons alone, just to name the yeah. most obvious thing. They're too small and too close to each other for touch. Right. And I don't want the interface. I don't mean to be too dismissive of the iOS look and feel, but I don't want it to be Fisher priced just to accommodate touch that I. I won't even use. You know, I like the density and the smallness of the controls of a mouse-driven interface. So I would say no to a touchscreen. Um, I hope. I really, really hope. So I want a better keyboard. I think I want better battery life than what Apple's current hmm. MacBook Pros are offering, and that might just be waiting for ARM as opposed to Intel. I don't yeah. know. Um, I, I have no complaints about the display, especially now that they have True Tone across the board. I guess if they shrunk the bezels, which I think is what they're doing with this rumored 16-inch MacBook Pro, I'm guessing that – I've said this before. I'm guessing that that's just a replacement for the 15-inch and that they're just keeping the footprint roughly the same and making the display go more closer to the closer to the corners, making it 16 inches instead of 15. And it's like already 15.4 inches or 15 – point something inches so it's actually not even like a full inch to make it um yeah i get you know yeah but the other thing that i really hope apple is doing is i really hope that they are taking to heart the i would say the consensus on the touch bar is ambivalent at best yeah. And uh, I suspect the people who like it the most are generally silent, and it's the people who really dislike it who are vocal. <laughs> but at least judging from the comments I see, uh, it is not it has not been well received. Um, I I don't hate it. Like I said, I spent six I, yeah, full I weeks with it, it either. But I don't, I don't it love either. it. So I really do. You, do you, how do you have it? How do you have your set? Do you have it? Well, I don't have one in front of me. I, like okay. last time I used it was like I said six the six weeks I spent on a MacBook Pro a year yeah. ago, and I I yeah. more or less used it as it was factory as set. it was designed. See yeah. the thing that the thing that I don't I can't get in on is the idea that you're going to go into every single app that you have and customize the Touch Bar. Right. I mean, I can see that there are some people who probably use certain apps, uh, professional digital editing apps all the time who might do that i don't work that way and the you know the writing apps that i use don't have that many special features that i feel like i need special buttons for them right so i basically turned it into you know just it's just the regular function buttons um that <laughs> what the functions were right. were for on a mac so instead of having you know the, the f numbers it's just the icons for, right. um, you know, volume up and down and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, I, I like that. I mean, and, and there's, and I can, the nice thing is I, I have a Keychron um, keyboard that I use. And I basically now have that, that the, the function keys on that are similar in that they are dedicated Mac style function keys. And I can set up the touch bar basically to, look exactly like that so now I, you know when i have the keyboard plugged in 
and I'm using it, it's the same thing. I, I just basically, I sincerely hope that Apple is has internalized the public's ambivalence towards the Touch Bar and is working on a a major rethinking. Like I think as a fundamental yeah. idea, it's a brilliant idea, and I think the idea of having all of our keyboards lined up with twelve of these F F keys from 1978 <laughs> is is odd, and right. I think it's very odd that that we we collectively but led by apple have sort of repurposed them with these icons and they're all sort of it, it's just it's fiddly and just seems outdated and so i think the idea of making it a touch little touch screen integrated above the keyboard is a great idea but i really think that it it's it needs like a huge 2.0 like a yeah i agree just a serious rethinking and uh, I don't even know what that is. I'm not creative enough to think of it, but I, I would know it if I saw it. I kind yeah. of feel like the other thing, too, is I feel like they made a mistake by not keeping the escape key as a hardware key. Uh, and it's a little thing because like, maybe a lot of people never, never, ever use the escape key. But people who do use the escape key use it a lot. And making it this thing that doesn't actually click is you know leads yeah. to people touching the wrong thing. And I think that symmetry-wise... It could work by being symmetric with the Touch ID button that's on the other mm -hmm. side. Uh, Maybe wider. Yeah. But basically, I would just want a, a something like the 13-inch MacBook Pro, maybe with a display that goes closer to the edges, better keyboard, at least four USB-C ports, and an improved touch bar. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. It's, it's not very I, – I, I kind of feel like the form factor is basically, you know, doesn't need a radical change. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have here? Let's see. Do you see this story that came out today where uh, Apple contractors, quote, regularly hear confidential details on Siri recordings? The Guardian had a story. Oh, no, I did not. Uh, I was outside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was outside when you contacted me. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, it sounds bad, but it's, I, I, I don't think, I don't think anybody does that i don't think anybody has their recording sent to apple without opting into it uh like i yeah. regularly i regularly but i think it is the kind of thing that everybody has been saying about amazon right. and google and had not come about come out about apple and mm, apple is making much more of a marketing angle on privacy than right. the others you are yeah i i kind of feel like they need to come clean about it uh and be as transparent as possible. But I don't think there's any way to to get those improvements without somebody listening to it. And I just think they they just need to make sure that they're like if there is some path, I don't know the details enough to really comment at length here, but if there's a path where somebody goes in to the Apple store, buys an iPhone, sets it up, and really un you know just without any sort of uh, could could very easily not understand that the the okay buttons that and continue buttons that they've pressed are allowing their anonymized Siri recordings to be sent to Apple I think that's a problem I just think it needs to be as crystal clear as possible that if you you know if you click this your recordings might be sent in a completely anonymized fashion to Apple and here's a learn more button where you can go and get the full Craig Federighi differential privacy mathematical explanation of how they're ensuring that they're <laughs> anonymized and can't be 
re, you know, re, you know, give people a way to if you really want to go deep on it and figure out how we're doing this in a way that is private. We'll get, we'll tell you everything. But if you just want to take our word for it, hit this button. And if you know you want to opt out, hit this button. And as long as that's going on, I'm okay with it because I don't see how it's possible. And I I think I've been fairly consistent on this, that I haven't really criticized the Amazon or Google so much for this. Although the the stories about Amazon seem a little fishier, uh, about the degree to which employees are listening and maybe can even reverse, you know, figure out, you know, that this was John Gruber in the, Mm -hmm. you know, 19147 zip code in Philadelphia, uh, you know, who said this goofy thing. (laughs) Yeah, you got to come over and listen to this guy. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's possible otherwise. I just think they just need to be transparent. Uh, here we go. How about this? Yeah. Somebody uh, can't find it. Somebody was asking about the uh, the leaks of the new iPhones supposedly coming out in September, and do we think they're horrible? Oh, the, and, the the look of them. Yeah. Well, and presumably this is all based around the the big square camera back, as opposed to the uh, what would you call it a pill, a capsule sized one that we've had for the right. last few years. Right. The, um, but the most, but everything that we've seen so far is basically a mock up based on case designs, right? Yes, very much. So. so we don't. The thing that we don't really know is the sort of fit and finish of the whole thing. Yeah. Because I've seen a whole bunch of these things, and it, it looks terrible in certain circumstances. In certain, you know, depending on how you render it. Yeah. This is Santiago. Santiago Dawson. The leak design for the iPhone 11 seemed hideous. No. Uh, he calls it the uh, iPhone 11 with Roman numerals. God Almighty! I hope they get rid of the Roman numerals. Um, <laughs> Here's my take. I I will admit that uh, I I don't think it looks good to have a big square camera thing on the back. But the camera is so essential and so useful, and I rely on it ever more and more as my primary camera that I'm okay with it. And I kind of feel like it's the inevitable consequence of the, the, the first step towards this was just making the what was it? The iPhone six that had the first camera bump. Uh, I think so. Where it was yeah. still just a little, <laughs> little tiny circle. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like even now with the iPhone ten and ten R and ten S and these cameras, it's like to think that we that including me, I have to admit, I gave that camera bump an awful lot of uh, snark uh, just because it bothered me because uh, you know it should be flush. Um, but the the way that photography works. It, having more distance, even a little fraction of an inch from the front of the lens to the mm-hmm. sensor, you know, makes things better. Um, right. So, uh, and, and so the the only alternative is making the whole thing thicker. Right. And I don't think that's worthwhile. I really don't. And I think it's in the real world when you when you appreciate the enormous percentage of people who keep their iPhones in a case at all times, the bump isn't a bump. Uh, so I feel like the bump, it's time to get over it. I'm over it because I know that it makes the photography better. I get such amazing photos from my iPhone. Even when I go on vacation and I take a quote-unquote real camera and then I come back and I do like the sort of triage of just at least getting rid of the garbage shots or if there's like if I took four shots of the same scene, figure out which one's the best and get rid of the other three. Um, I am still occasionally like, oh, I must have taken this one with my Fuji 
And then I'm like, oh, nope, I was the iPhone. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm blown away by it. I, I, I think it's necessary. I think adding a third lens, which is what they're rumoring, uh, you know, rumors are saying why the, the, the camera unit on the back is getting better is a good thing, I think, because it's just, a, you know, the funny nature of trying to make these incredibly slim devices by the mm -hmm. standards of cameras into serious cameras you you know when you buy a, a point and shoot camera that has a zoom feature where you can go wide or or long the lens it, it comes out like two inches from the camera like you, you can't do that with a single lens at this at a phone device thickness and so using multiple lenses wider to longer and then having the software switch between them as you zoom is ingenious, but it necessitates making this a little bit more awkward. But I think it's a trade-off well worth making. And I think, you know, we've seen leaks of like Google's upcoming Pixel 4, which has a very, very similar design where the camera unit is a big square with three lenses. Yeah. Uh, it's a trade-off worth making for better photography, whether it makes yeah. the device look uglier or not. But we'll get used to it. The, uh, it's like, he just says that most everybody puts a camera in a case. The, the only thing I could think of was what what if they made an iPhone where the case was already on the iPhone? Hmm. Where everything would be flush, but it's it's not like it's protection rather than yeah. Device. I can't. I can't. The see only the only reason that. I think that they couldn't. They, well, I mean, I like the only they want to do that in the first place because they want they want to ship a device that's as slim as possible. But the other reason I would think is that the materials right that are protective are not going to last as long. Right. And then, and then you have an iPhone that looks like crap. Yeah, and and I think people would still put cases on them. I, I really do. <laughs> I know I really do. And it, it's you know it, it's very reasonable. Uh, I, I I generally well, I was I, thinking they would sell it that way. You know, they right. would sell it as, as like we we put the case on for you. Yeah, and I, people wouldn't believe it or they wouldn't trust it, <laughs> and they and they really want to keep their eight hundred nine hundred dollar purchase pristine. Right. And so mm -hmm. they're still going to want to put a case on the case, if especially if they can do it with a ten dollar case. Right. That that they don't care if it gets scuffed up. And then if it if it gets like really, really scuffed up, you just snap it off and buy another ten dollar case. Yeah. I'd guarantee you if Apple did that, people would put cases on them and it would just be <laughs> way thicker. And <laughs> Johnny Ive on his island in retirement would just, be, right. <laughs> just sob. <laughs> sob silently <laughs> people just keep putting cases Tossing on. and turning in his bed of money hmm. anything that pops out to you cletus fetus okay <laughs> i didn't want to say the name but i have to give him credit um asked uh about uh pricing that hmm. there is a 329 dollar ipad mm -hmm. but apple does not make a 329 dollar phone hmm and uh, why not make a 329 phone with bezels or whatever you have to do? Yeah, I wonder about that. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I mean, I find it interesting that the iPad, because we, we got my father-in-law an iPad for, you know, the cheap iPad for Father's Day because his old one was acting funky. Yeah. And it's a really nice device it is, for it not is, very much. It is a really, really nice device for $329. Yeah, and it was when, on sale at Costco for like $250 or something. Uh, uh, when when they came out with that, when was that? October? I forget. 
uh, or maybe it was. I, think off it was, I thought it was like a year. I thought it was more like a year. Ago, yeah, but. like and and maybe like off. Yeah, and maybe like like March or April or something like that. Yeah. And they had, uh, they didn't have an event. They just had like press briefings. And I went to the ones in New York and talked to people from the iPad team. And basically, that's that's kind of what it came down to. And they, you know, they added pencil support. Uh, uh, and basically, what it came down to is this is a, this is definitely not the best iPad. The iPad Pros absolutely hold their own, justify you know their much higher prices. But this is a really nice three hundred and twenty nine dollar device. Like yeah. really, really nice, and and really it's plenty fast. Right. The only it complaint does you, everything. It just it just has you know an older look. Really. Yeah. The the only complaints you can really have about it are the basic fundamental complaints about the iPad OS, which you know Apple mm-hmm. is, has hopefully tackled you know with iPad OS thirteen this year. Um, but really, every uh, the only serious complaints you can have about this device come down to the OS, and I think for typical users uh, who really do use it in, you know, I think the people who really care about multitasking and two documents at once and doing things side by side are all sort of the sort of people who are going to lean towards an iPad Pro. Uh, I think the sort of typical people like my dad, uh, my mom, who both really, really, really get along well on their iPad, right? Like, you know, they'll call me every once in a while with weird problems with their Mac, even just the stupid things like, you know, the the mail icon isn't in the dock anymore. Although the Apple sort of fixed that a few years ago where they made it like you have to drag like a couple inches off the dock to get an app out of there. Um, but just, you know, they get confused by the Mac sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, they never, ever call me with anything to do with their iPad. And, they, you know, they just use it the way, uh, you know, it was used from 2011 on where it's just one, one app at a time. Uh, boy, that 329 one is so nice. It just has just about everything you could want. Yeah. Uh, why don't so they why make? No, why no phone? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was listening to ATP. Uh, I don't know if it was the most recent episode or the second most recent. And Marco was talking about wanting a. Uh, this is right up your alley. A uh, a four inch iPhone for testing overcast mm-hmm. layout, and uh, you know Marco being Marco, I think he was at his beach house, and so he didn't want to go home and get one that he already had. <laughs> So he <laughs> he wanted another one. Yeah, he wanted a beach house one and a house house one. Well, and I think the other angle was that his four inch <laughs> testing device was like an iPhone five S, and the five S is dropping, or either has dropped off or is dropping off this year from the still supports the latest OS chain, and so he wanted to get an iPhone SE as the last you know latest and greatest four inch phone, and would have at least another year or two ahead of it. You know, for uh, keeping up with the OS, and so we went on Amazon and bought a. I don't think it was refurbished. There's a different word, uh, but it, you know, basically he got like a used iPhone, a used one SE, mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was like I forget what he paid, but it was really cheap. It was like two hundred dollars or two twenty or something like that. And yeah. he said, and it's great, you know, and it's it's you know all the ways that you could you John Moltz could wax poetic about. <laughs> The thinness, lightness, pocketability, <laughs> and just pleasure, the straight sides, everything. He's yeah. like, you know, this is just really, really nice. So I kind of feel like Apple's strategy for years, really almost, you know, dating back to the, you know, when people first started upgrading iPhones in the first place around the 3GS or the iPhone 4, it's always sort of been the cheap iPhone is just an older iPhone. And, uh, 
what the fundamental thinking behind that strategy is, I would love to know. I would love to get Tim Cook to open up about that. But, you know, good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> good luck getting them to explain <laughs> what they're thinking there. I guess Schiller would probably be the better person to, you know, if we could drug him and... <laughs> Get some Bond, James Bond truth serum into <laughs> sure, Phil, yeah. Phil Schiller and figure out what their strategy is there. But I really do <laughs> feel like there are $329 iPhones to be had that are really good devices, but they're, you know, uh, iPhone yeah. 7s and iPhone SEs yeah. and stuff so like that. So the 7, yeah, the 7's 450 But I think you could get a but, refurbished and you can get one, one you can get one for 300 bucks with a trade-in, right. which most people probably have. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not... If you look at it like that, it's not terribly far off. But that's an old phone now. Right. That's a pretty old phone. Right. Whereas, the, whereas that iPad is brand spanking new, really. Right. And has like... I mean, not a, top of the line, but but real new. And has a recent A-series processor that has a healthy number of years of iOS updates mm -hmm. ahead of it, which yeah. is something you're not going to get if you buy an iPhone SE. I think the iPhone SE really is... I think iOS 13 is probably it. That's probably the know. last one. Yeah, I would think so, too. Um, you know, so who knows? I, I don't know. It, it it's an interesting difference between the iPad and and the iPhone. I mean, the iPad's different in a lot of ways. The Mac is sort of in the same boat. Where you know, why doesn't why is the cheapest Mac? It's now eleven hundred dollars because they um, they didn't completely get rid of the nine ninety nine MacBook Air, the non Retina one. It's but it's no longer sold at retail. It's only available like through education and like the the quote-unquote channel so i think you could still buy them at like best buy or something like that mm. but, but if you go into an apple store the cheapest mac is the 1100 dollars macbook air so why don't they make a 400 dollars mac i don't you know i guess the the what do you call it the mac mini is a little cheaper but you have to get a display yeah um yeah, it's in some ways the it's, it's not in some ways it's not the iPhone that sticks out for not having a quote unquote cheap the iPad. version. It's the iPad because yeah. it's, because it does, right? The iPad, the three twenty nine iPad, is the one that's abnormal. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if they or just they wanted to move more units of iPads. Maybe, and, and I know because the because they had I mean they had a definite problem right. for a while moving iPad units. Yeah, and, and never really. I mean, you know, iPhone units have topped out, sure, but they've always been fairly consistent. Yeah. Uh, Chris Lakata asks: Will we see AMD CPUs in Macs before the ARM transition? That's an interesting question. So the basic uh, premise behind this, and I'm, the, I, I don't think I think you're in the same boat as me. You know, uh, I, I, I long ago, years ago, stopped keeping up with the intricacies of Intel's roadmap. Yeah. Uh, I, I just can't be bothered. I'm too old. It, it's too, <laughs> too boring. All I know is that Intel has been slow and I know, I know they're slow. Nobody going, nobody going to a stones concert keeps up on Intel's <laughs> roadmap. <laughs> I do know though that, uh, you know, and I just can't be, and their names confuse me, you know, like you can get a core I five that might be faster than a core I seven. And who, I don't know how that's possible. Who gives a crap? I, I just want good CPUs that are power efficient. I know that thinner fab fabrication is better and it makes things more, you know, it's just better in every way. So going from 11 nanometer to 9 nanometer to 7 nanometer, it's all good. It's all, you know, and Apple's A-series chips are, are doing a tremendous job at that. And Intel is just, 
ever slipping behind on this and that in the x86 world where there's really only two two competitors intel and amd amd is apparently kicking intel's ass and like a lot of people who care about uh you know the gamers you know the gaming pc you know thing is amd is apparently doing very very well in that arena i i, I just would be very surprised to yeah. for them to come out with amd uh cpus and even even if they well i don't know i i, I think the arm transition is inevitable but at at some point it, it we all become Gene Munster talking about Apple making a TV set, right? We're, we're, we're all on these podcasts for years now saying, I think Apple is going to, you know, Apple's AM, uh, ARM team is obviously kicking ass. They're doing an amazing job. They're keeping the phone somehow years ahead of their top competition in the Android world. Uh, and they're doing it year after year, every single year. Johnny Saruji's chip team is coming out with new a series chips right on time ready to be announced in early september ready to ship mid to late september and every year they are showing some sort of terrific gains in cpu or gpu or power performance every single year like clockwork it is not just one of the best teams at apple but i would say one of the best teams in the entire world of technology, period, is Johnny Sarugi's chip team. And so it does seem inevitable that they're <laughs> going to switch the Mac to them, especially now, you know, like it, the, 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 uh, the rumor mongering or, or just the pure speculation with no in, birdies or anybody telling us anything, just this sort of lick your finger, stick it in the wind and, and see what you think is going to happen. Like when the iPad started creeping up on the MacBooks in benchmark performance, we you know it seemed like well this is inevitable. But now they're they're smoking them, right? Like an <laughs> iPad Pro is as a computing device way faster than like MacBook Pros. Or maybe not the 15 inch. I don't know. I guess you can probably max out a 15 inch. But for the most part, most iPads are faster than most MacBooks being sold. So why wouldn't they switch? It's complicated. But I don't. I don't see them switching to AMD. I feel like they've kind of got like a relationship with Intel, and until they make that switch, you know, yeah, that's what we got. Yeah. If they're going to work on one thing, yeah, they would probably work on the on that rather than spend yeah. a bunch of time doing something else. Here's a guy uh, named Bop Bop Bop. <laughs> His <laughs> username is Disco Hootie. He asks us to choose. I, I'm not sure. This is a, a weird question. A a desktop and a laptop B a desktop and an iPad C a laptop and iPad or D desktop laptop and iPad I feel like D is <laughs> is, is cheating and should be removed Yeah exactly I know because that's uh, that's what I'd pick cuz that's what I have <laughs> Yeah why not and why not give us an extra choice of having both an iPad and an iPad mini <laughs> Right just <laughs> just you know <laughs> we're gonna do the we're gonna do this do you ever hear the story about frank sinatra's rider late in his career frank sinatra's rider or at least one of the i don't know who knows how long it was probably like 13 pages but one of the details of frank sinatra's rider was that he wanted uh in his hotel room there's you know probably a suite uh uh, uh forget his brand of cigarettes but he wanted just to say they were winston's he wanted a complete fresh pack of winston's already opened <laughs> with one of the cigarettes popped out 
<laughs> and a and a complete matchbook next to each one, all no further than five five feet apart from each other. So that wherever he was in the hotel suite, he was within five feet of of a fresh pack of Winston cigarettes with a complete matchbook. Uh, that's you know we could do that with our iPads, right? We could just you know just yeah. why don't we have yeah. why don't we have one everywhere in the house? Put them five feet away from each other, mm-hmm. all signed into your iCloud account. Pick it up, leave yeah. where you were. So I, I kind of feel the, like you have to. You have the to thing take that, that I've the thing that I've struggled with over my entire computing lifetime has been the question of whether you get a a, a powerful desktop and a like a really lightweight right laptop that. Can't do everything the desktop can, but can go play everywhere right. you want it to go. Right. Or you get maybe two that are more comparable. Whether you need the desktop, whether you need the desktop or not, maybe you don't need the desktop. Maybe you just get a super powerful laptop. And I keep going. I go back and forth on that depending on what's available. I guess. Yeah. And I like when I, I so I bought this MacBook Pro in 2016 when the first when those came out and. I still don't know the. I still don't have a good answer. <laughs> I my answer is complicated and highly personal to my specific needs right now. Where, uh, and I don't want to go into the details of it, I don't, and, and it's all going to be fine. But my eyesight is is a bit in a strange place, and I can see up close perfectly, and I really struggle to see at arm's length distance. So I use my iMac right now very little because I really have trouble seeing the screen. Um, so for me personally, right now, I would go laptop and iPad because I, the iPad for me is I, as somebody who really needs to hold you know hold the screen really close to my face to to read right now or at least to read comfortably is absolutely phenomenal. It is I, I if I had. If I had run into this same vision problem 10 years ago, I don't know what I would do. I guess I would make do with a laptop and get really close to the screen. But uh, without even getting into the software sides of accessibility, the the hardware aspects of accessibility for someone who needs to, to get close to a screen of an iPad that's so lightweight, it, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I, I so I would pick that right now. If my yeah. if and when my eyesight goes back to working better at at arm's length, I would go desktop and laptop and skip the iPad if I only oh, had okay. to have two. Yeah. I think I have to have an iPad. See, I don't have to have an iPad. Although I yeah. I kind of do right now just but be for the vision reasons, but not for usability. I do all, I do all my reading on an iPad. Yeah. I, I do almost all of it, and especially if it's longer. And and I use that that continuity feature where, if I encounter a longish article and this is good, I do that you know share, and then you mm-hmm. just turn your iPad screen on and jump it over there, and it just opens up, which I love. Uh, I, I do a t- tremendous amount of reading on the iPad. Well, uh, good news though your your vision may get better because <laughs> that's that happened to me. Oh, my, it's definitely my, uh, my farsightedness got better. And uh, and it was weird because I was I was having a lot of trouble seeing things up close, and I was thinking, oh no, my my near vision's getting worse. Yeah. And I was you know like having to take uh, reading glasses with me to, you know, to mostly to like 
<laughs> restaurants and bars and yeah. stuff because I couldn't read the yeah. bill at the end. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, come in the end of the night, I got to pull out my, my grandpa glasses and look at the bill. And then I go to the, the eye doctor and she said, oh, that's because your prescription's not working for you anymore because your farsightedness is getting better. So now right. you're, it's overcompensating. Right. So um, I got a new prescription and now I don't need the cheaters anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I had the same thing for, for like two, two years. I needed reading glasses, especially for bars and any anything dark uh but yeah. i really needed them for reading and now i don't <laughs> but yeah. it's a long story but yeah. basically <laughs> i have an, i have a good eye and a bad eye and my good eye now has a cataract oh. <laughs> so it's it's actually not very good right now but the good news about cataract is that you can have cataract surgery and it's not perfect yeah. it uh, but uh you know so then when i say that my vision might get better it would be after i have cataract surgery which i'm surgery, delaying as yeah, long as yeah, i can okay. but anyway yeah, uh right very personal uh here's a football question over under for 10 wins for the dallas cowboys this year that's from richard stovall i'm gonna go over but i'm that's for you i don't i, don't, I have no opinion i'm, uh, I'm weighing in on that i i've been optimistic on the cowboys for 20 years now and it's, yeah. it hasn't worked out very well i wouldn't i wouldn't take this advice to vegas richard I would actually. I would take this. Advice you probably would. <laughs> I would not advise anybody listening to me to to do that. Uh, somebody asks. I can't really. It's a very strange username. Will Apple's design language change now that Johnny Ive has left? Uh, I think inevitably a little bit. Uh, I, I've there's some people on Twitter who seem to uh, object to my. Uh, I think Apple's going to be fine without Johnny Ive take, you know, that uh, accusing me of a sort of doesn't matter what happens to Apple. I'm going to uh, John Gruber is going to say uh, that's fine. That's good for Apple. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I feel like it's it, it misses a lot of new. I, I feel like most things in life that are interesting and worth talking about or writing about. There's a lot of nuance. And but long mm -hmm. story short, I basically feel that. Ives inordinate influence in the post Steve Jobs Apple um, it's it, you know it's been a good it, Apple's been fine without him right Where nobody's really the, the whole Apple is doomed without Steve Jobs thing is over now it's they're doomed without Johnny Ive but yeah uh, <laughs> even though we even though we hated their design for the last <laughs> right you know, I, eight years or whatever. I just feel though that uh, uh, his singular vision is a bit off in a couple of ways, and it's been to the detriment of of Apple's design. And again, you know, design by committee is never good, but getting something with more of a consensus view is probably going to be good uh, for Apple. So I, I kind of feel, and you know, the rumor rumor chain. It sort of suggests that this is already true, you know, that 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 the rumors strongly suggest that either late this year or early next year, uh, true revisions to the whole MacBook line are going to bring back um, uh, scissor key, a new scissor key mm -hmm. design to the keyboards, which will have more travel. And, you know, am I right? Do I know for a fact that the the butterfly keyboard can be pinned on Johnny Ive. I, I, I can't verify that, but I mean, that's basically what I've heard. And knowing that his obsession with thinness and neatness and maybe a little bit too much emphasis on the way things look as opposed to how they work, uh, it's hard not to think that it was, uh, you know, 
ultimately his decision. You know, and I, there's rumors too that they're going to switch back to the upside down T for the arrow keys on the keyboards on the you know the the small keyboards, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again I, I I will fully admit that the the current keyboards which have full height left and right keys and half height up and down keys to fill in the keyboard it absolutely looks better like the gaps on the keyboard that were caused by the upside down T arrangement didn't look right. But they certainly worked better because you could feel feel your way around them better, you know. And I wrote this on Daring Fireball. It's I think maybe when maybe when Ives departure was announced, but somewhat recently, you know, that yeah. I feel like he's he has violated Steve Jobs's design isn't how it looks, it's how it works axiom mm-hmm. in a few mm-hmm. ways. And I feel like both on the software and hardware sides in the last 10 years or nine years, you know, however long it's been since, since Steve died, I guess it was 2011. Yeah, it was 2011. I do think that Apple has veered a little bit to a little bit in the design is how it looks uh, area. And I feel like that, because I've got two of these, I've got two different keyboards that are in front of me right now. One of them is the upside down T and then the other one is the MacBook pro 2016. And it's like, (laughs) I think you'd really have to be looking at the upside down T too long to yeah. be like upset about the fact that there's gaps right above the left. And, and it undeniably works better in my opinion. Yeah, I completely. Really I mean, I still say, yeah, that's one of the things I struggle with, with this keyboard. Yeah. All right. Let me take another break here and thank our next sponsor. And it's our friends at express VPN. Look, public Wi-Fi is a, security hole it really is you get on a coffee shop wi-fi and they don't have uh security somebody else who's on the network whoever controls the network can actually see the network traffic that's going on uh it's not exactly safe and you can do all sorts of stuff over https and that will ensure that the traffic between you and the web server is uh encrypted Uh, but anything that's not is up in the air Uh, a vpn is the way that you can get around this. It secures your network connection to the VPN provider completely encrypted. So all of the traffic, every single bit coming in, going out of your device is fully encrypted. But you need to have a VPN provider that you can trust. ExpressVPN is the number one VPN service ranked by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. For less than seven bucks a month, you can start using ExpressVPN. And it is, you might think, well, how do I install this? Is it hard? Is it, you know, I need to be like a Unix uh, system administrator to get this thing working? Nope, one click. Very, very easy to turn on on all of your devices. They have easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. And it completely secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting all of your data, your email, your messages, everything. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free, three free months at expressvpn.com slash TTS, TTS for the talk show. That's expressvpn.com slash TTS and using that URL. You get three months free when you sign up for a one-year package. Uh, what else? Here's a good question. Uh, how close are you two to switching from Dropbox to iCloud oh, yeah. Drive? 
That's from R. <laughs> Stevens, cartoonist extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, I don't think I've gotten this Dropbox update yet that shows up in the dock. I don't have it in, running in my dock, but there's apparently... I never saw it running in the dock. I definitely got a new interface yeah. in the drop-down menu, though. Yeah. Basically, Dropbox is going to hell in a handbasket. It, it, it really is. And uh, I, again, I'm stealing from Marco here from ATP, but basically, uh, you know, we've, we collectively as users of Dropbox have, have, have granted Dropbox extraordinary access to our computers. When you install Dropbox, you're letting it right to your file system. You are letting it auto update itself. Like Dropbox just runs in the background, and when it wants to update to a new version, it just happens. That's an extraordinary privilege to grant an application. We, you know, we collectively as Dropbox users, and I suspect most people listening to the show either use Dropbox or have used it extensively. Uh, we've we've given them an awful lot of our trust, and I feel like they've abused it. And I get it that they are venture back, capital backed, and that. They're not just shooting to be a nice little business that collects a nice little bit of money from people to have a folder that syncs <laughs> across devices and that they're shooting to be, you know, a multi gazillion dollar conglomerate, you know, that that's up there with the tech giants like Facebook and Google and Apple and Amazon um, and that they've raised, you know, a valuation that that makes uh, just having a folder that sinks for 10 bucks a month or something like that, they're never going to get there. And so they're effectively, you know, all of these companies are effectively trying to build like an entire suite where like you're going to use Dropbox for like everything from your spreadsheets and your word processing and your collaboration. And it's like Slack and video conferencing and file sharing all in one. I just want a folder that sinks. I really do. And I get it that they've, they've gone down this route and we've all sort of known that that's what they you know they were raising all this money and how long can this last as a nice little utility? Um, so I don't think anybody is shocked by this, but it is very disappointing. So I I hope that iCloud iCloud's new uh, shared folder feature, which is coming this fall on macOS and iOS, I hope it works as well as you would expect it to. Because if it does, then I'm then that's when I'm leaving Dropbox. Because yeah. the one thing Dropbox has right now that I need is the shared folder feature. And is that for? I mean, the only reason I use Dropbox now is for sharing podcast files, basically. Yeah, that's same here. And so I guess yeah. I could do it another way. Maybe so. Maybe I'll switch before that. Um, but I do also. But it's easy. It's easy for that, and I've used right. it for years. And I used to use it. I mean, I used to have all my like text files on it as yeah. well, so that I could access them from my iPhone and right. from my iPad and whatever device I was using. And then they cut back, so they said, "No, you only get like." And then I'm, you know, and I'm not paying, so uh, I mean, I can't complain too much. But <laughs> but I would pay. I would pay a little bit if I was getting something that I really wanted. Right. And I, they want more than what I feel like I would get out of it, and I can do the things that I need to do with iCloud. Yeah. So I have moved. I have moved my MacBook. I have a weird. <laughs> I have a weird setup. Admittedly, admittedly, I have a. I have an ancient MacBook here, a 2009 MacBook that I usually do the recording for podcasts on. That just sits here to do that, and that one is still on Dropbox for sharing because you know the other people that I work with are still on Dropbox. And then I took Dropbox off my my main machine, which is this MacBook Pro. The other thing you can do, um, 
which is interesting, is uh, I use Transmit from Panic as yes, my file transfer. Right, right. But and you, so I still have I have Transmit set right. up to use Dropbox. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that some other file transfer apps probably have the same thing. You know, but you can sign up. You know, sign in with your Dropbox credentials in Transmit, and then you can mm-hmm. get your Dropbox that way and just treat it like. An FTP server. FTP server. Right. Yeah. And it's so you can still have shared folders. And and if somebody does share something, you can log in and, and still get your files. Um, you know, obviously more of a Mac thing than an iOS thing. But maybe there's an iOS solution for that as well. Uh, I guess you could just use the Dropbox app on iOS and you're not getting stuck with all the, you know, it's the Mac version that and Windows version that everybody's complaining about. The iOS version, thanks to the... You know, sandboxing rules and various other rules of iOS can't really interfere with your daily com- computing as much. So you can uninstall Dropbox from your Mac, but still remain in the Dropbox universe, which is my plan. Yeah. The that, thing I, that's what I, that's what I did, what I mean, what I did. Yeah. yeah. The thing I don't like about iCloud uh, for compared to Dropbox, I, I, I like the idea of trusting Apple more than I trust Dropbox, especially just in terms of like not being annoying. But I I like the way that Dropbox, I guess they've added a couple of magic folders within your Dropbox folder over the years, right? Like they want you to have a photos folder inside your Dropbox, but there's not a lot, right? And I think you can even opt out of that. So basically, you know, inside your Dropbox folder, it's all organized the way you want it organized. Whereas iCloud Drive mm-hmm. at the root level starts with a folder for every single app that is using iCloud Drive. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go all John Syracuse, uh, but I, I, I do find it. I wish I had control over that. I wish, I yeah, wish that there was, uh, you know, just put them all inside an application data folder, right? Just say inside iCloud Drive, there's a folder called application data. And then inside application data are all of these folders that get created automatically for every single app. I just kind of hate the fact that the root level of my iCloud Drive has 33 folders. That's crazy. And only like two of those are the ones that I've made. Yeah, yeah. there's two two folders in the out of thirty three are the ones that I made. So I, I find that a little annoying compared to Dropbox. But for me, iCloud mm-hmm. Drive has been very solid. Although um, I'm not really using, I've been spooked enough by developer friends that I'm not even really beta testing the iOS thirteen stuff right now. Yeah, just because yeah. I've, I've I only heard that stuff after I upgraded one of. Them. I mean, I have an old, I have an iPad Air two, and I right. put it on that. And right. So but, far, I've been lucky, but. Right, but the betas this summer have been buggy enough, and specific. I mean, they're doing really cool stuff with iCloud, and and every developer I've heard talking about this is saying like, what they're doing is great, and once they get the bugs worked out, iCloud is going to be better than ever. But right now, in the middle of 2019 summer, uh, these betas can lose data in your iCloud folder, even if you're only using it on a secondary device. If you're if you're uh, signed into the same iCloud account, like so. You know what you could do and probably should be doing if you're testing it as a developer or whatever is using like a secondary iCloud account, but that that would make it. I don't have any need for that. I don't have any apps that I need yeah. to test. I, if I don't have my real iCloud account, the device isn't really useful to me. Right. 
guess it would help if I had signed into my the talk show account on the, on the iPad I was doing the show from. I had just gone through. Uh, I was just, here. I can get back. I can do it on my phone. I kind of like this question. You're at a fine cocktail establishment. This is David Smith. Okay. With all the Apple execs, you get up to buy your round. What is each person's drink order? Oh, <laughs> interesting. Hmm. I, I feel I feel like uh, it's sort of like I'm maybe stereotyping to say that uh, Tim Cook's is a mint julep. <laughs> I, I can see that. Or <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. I, that was the first thing that came to me. Uh, I can see that. I'm going to say Phil Schiller is a is a White Russian, <laughs> like a little nutty. Okay. I, you all right? Yeah. Uh, Johnny, Johnny. <laughs> what about Johnny Ive? Do we still count Johnny Ive? I think just we... a just a glass of cold water. <laughs> <laughs> With no ice, just cold water. Well, but then that's not a cocktail. I was going to go with the, yeah, true. I was going to go with like a, a gin martini, but yeah. So then maybe a gin but martini. stirred, st- stirred extraordinarily slowly so as to keep it <laughs> keep it as crystal clear as possible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Crystal clear. Right. How about Eddie? Oh, Eddie Q. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 Eddie Q is a tough one. Hmm. At a fine cocktail establishment. I'm going to say even at a fine cocktail establishment, maybe, maybe Eddie Q wants a six-pack of beer. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking Eddie would want something that was really difficult to make. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm I think Craig, trying to think of something that's really hard to make. I think Craig Craig Federighi would probably be like the opposite. He'd be like, whatever's the easiest thing to make. Yeah, right, yeah. right. <laughs> whatever you got is fine. Oh, whatever you're having. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like somebody ordered whatever somebody orders right before him, he'll just be like, make it too. That'll be nice and easy. <laughs> right? <laughs> Go along to get along. Whereas Eddie Eddie might <laughs> There's this old Martin Short movie, and I can't remember the name of it. It was like a TV movie. It was a comedy. And in the movie, he everywhere he goes, he orders this thing called a Pousse Cafe. <laughs> and, and, and every time the bartender is like, oh, God, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I want a Pousse Cafe. And you'd see the bartender in the back and he's like, he's got a blender and he's got all this stuff. And, and in the foreground, you know, <laughs> he's just having a conversation with whoever he's talking to. <laughs> Pousse Cafe. That's a funny name. I never heard of this. Which is apparently is a real thing, which I didn't know at the time. It's like this was like came out in the eighties. Uh, I only saw it once. How do you how do you think you spell that? P o u s s e dash c a f e something like that. Right. Let's see if that's uh, if that comes up. Is it complicated? I'm trying to look. <laughs> so it's like a dessert drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got multiple layers. Oh God, that's what it is. That's. <laughs> oh my God. It's not, I mean, like the the list, it sounds terrible, really. It's grenadine, maraschino liqueur, creme de menthe, creme de violet, yellow chartreuse, and brandy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's layered. That's the, that's the, you know, you have to create, yeah, it, creates yeah, a stripe, yeah. it creates a striped effect. Right, right. Yeah, painstaking. <laughs> you know what? That, that wouldn't be ridiculous if, if, as the question presupposes, that we're at a craft cocktail facility you're not really putting Mm -hmm. them out it it is a major pet peeve of mine when you're at a busy bar 
let's say standing room only and you've got to order between standing sitting guests at the bar it's a pet peeve of mine when somebody asks for a a, a difficult to drink difficult to, mm-hmm. or, or, or not even difficult but but multi-step drink yeah. when right. the bartender is obviously uh, uh over taxed by the number of right. requests coming in yeah like hey maybe wait maybe you just get a glass of wine or a glass of beer or, you know a shot of mm-hmm. something or something on the rocks you know vodka right. and soda you never go you can't yeah. go wrong with a vodka and soda you know i find that pl- the places that i usually go i mostly just get shots of something you know like stri- something neat yeah. because uh <laughs> you go to a dive bar you don't necessarily want to order a martini <laughs> <laughs> or an old-fashioned you might get like or an old-fashioned yeah there. exactly yeah. yeah you don't want a fruit salad in there <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that a strawberry in there? <laughs> right. When they, all of a sudden, there's a half of an orange and a strawberry, and the guy's muddling it all up, like, and then you're like, "Oh God, never and now mind." And now, now he's going to pour some kind of good v- bourbon in there, and just, just ruin it. Uh, uh, let's see here. Jay Mush asks. Before, the newest iPhone only had to appeal to those who had two-year-old model. 4S to 5S, 5 to 6, 5S to 6S. Has Apple lost that a bit by using a three-year cycle for their design language? Will the 11 excite 10 us- iPhone 10 users like a 6 excited 5 users? It's a good question. I kind of feel that it kind of has, but I feel like that's actually a good thing. And I know that from like a Wall Street perspective the idea that the upgrade life cycle is getting longer for most typical users is not seen as a good thing. Obviously like people who are invested in Apple on wall street would like everybody to get a new phone every year, you know? So mm-hmm. like when those goofy stories come out and say like Apple's, you know, iOS updates uh, purposefully slow down your phone uh, and everybody is, you know, most people are, you know, like people like me and you are like, ah, that's actually not true. Uh, people who believe it, take it on face value are like, oh, that sucks. And then people on Wall Street are like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> seems like a great idea. Um, I feel it, 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 it's multivariate. And I feel like one of them is that over the course of the last 12 years, uh, the you know, iPhones have gone from like a a very niche product. You know, I, f- I forget how many they sold in the first year, but it was like, remember Jobs wanted to sell 10 million in the 10 first million, yeah. year and a half, you know, like 18 months. And they, and they made it through the first, like the first 12 months, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was about, yeah. about 12 months and they hit the mark already. Yeah. But 10 million is a joke. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's hundreds of millions of them in use and they sell, you know, 70, some million in the first quarter when new ones come out. Um, but it's inevitable as something goes from uh, something for early uh, adopters to truly mass market, the mass market end of the market is going to hold on to them as long as they can. You know, my mom has an iPhone now. My mom thinks it, she likes it a lot. But she didn't get one until just like two years ago or something like that because she just, you know. Wow. 
she just thought it was crazy and she didn't think she would use it as much, you know, and so she hmm. just had like, you know, like a, she had a cell phone, but it was like a $20, you know, yeah. A yeah. candy bar type thing <laughs> that she, God bless her. <laughs> God, you know what she does? I'll tell you, this is honest. I don't want to throw my mom under the bus. I love my mom. <laughs> I think she still does it with her iPhone. Even I, I swear to God, she when she's done using it, she turns it oh. off. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna one up you because <laughs> not only not only does my mom I don't think she just I don't think she does this anymore. But for a long time, not only did my mom turn it off, she would put it back in the box. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> but like, we go on a vacation with my parents, and my uh, it's actually very nice, and my sisters. Um, husband's parents uh, we all go together for a couple of days in august and everybody gets along it, it's you know it, it's almost a miracle <laughs> but <laughs> but you know you, you go on vacation and you know one of the things that's nice about the modern world is when you're you're first getting to the destination you can coordinate with each other by cell phone uh, mm -hmm. to organize hey where how far you know we're only half an hour away oh we we were going to go out to eat we'll wait for you you know if you're only 20 minutes away and etc you know you can you can just coordinate the the getting together initially right. aspect my mom <laughs> you can't do it cuz she she'll call and say something <laughs> and then you go to call her back and it says like this this Verizon subscriber yeah, right. <laughs> <voicemail. read. laughs> goes right to voicemail <laughs> and it's like mom why did you turn your cell phone off she was like well i, <laughs> I was done <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as as people like that uh, buy more iPhones, of course they're going to keep them. I, I really cannot imagine my mom getting a new iPhone until her iPhone breaks. I, I really, she, I, I I don't think she would take one if I gave it to her. You know, she would say, "Take that back to the store. I don't need that." Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's natural. I think, but I also think that Apple, and to go back to Johnny Ive, I do think that they have they have taken the iPhone to where they see it as being very close to the platonic ideal of what an iPhone should be given the limits of today's technology, right? Like surely, you know, something that was just a piece of glass that could light up would be more Apple-like and better. And if you could fold it up like a dollar bill, that would be even better. There's all sorts of hypothetical science fiction technology in years to come. I'm sure that 10 years from now, we'll look back at 2019 iPhones and think that they're crude devices. Mm -hmm. um, but given the limits of today's technology and the, the, you know, prices, which they've raised, right. I mean, they're already, you know, selling like 11, 1200, $1,300 iPhones. Um, it, it's going there. It, I think it's natural that they change less year over year. And it's definitely a Johnny Ive thing that he has said to me personally in like, uh, off the record briefings. And I know he said in interviews multiple times in public that Apple does not want to change things for the sake of change. They only want to change a design when it is clearly better. And so they're not going to do decorative changes year over year. I mean, they might do things. They do play with like the colors of the anodized aluminum and, and stuff like that. Um, but again, that's not really, I, I, that's not the sort of thing that people who think three years of the same fundamental design is quote boring. That doesn't satisfy them either. Right. If yeah. you suddenly find out there's a new shade of rose gold. Um, yeah. I think, Although it's I think just... it's worked out. I think that's I tend to think that the popularity of the iPhone XR is partially because it's different. And it's definitely because it's cheaper. Yeah. I think that's probably the bigger reason. 
Um, but I think also people are like, oh, I can get this in a bunch of colors. Yeah. And then I'm going to cover it with a case. And then I'm going to cover it with a case that's going to be a different color and it's going to look right. like crap. <laughs> but you'll be able to see the color poking out at the lightning port just a little bit. Just a little right. bit at the lightning port. Um, yeah, I guess. But I, I don't think that – I wouldn't be surprised if we have something that looks a lot like the iPhone ten, not just this year but for several years to come. I, I really do. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's a either. mature technology. I mean, and look at uh, look at the MacBooks, right? The you know, however much we want to complain about the new keyboards and that maybe they took them, made them too thin, that they should have been a little all across the board, maybe a little thicker, and just fill it up with battery. That's what we always want them to do, right? We everybody always says we want them to make it just make it a little thicker and fill it up with battery, and then I get better battery life. Uh, but fundamentally, the MacBook lineup, there's a direct lineage in industrial design from the titanium G4 PowerBook to all of today's models. You know, mm -hmm. uh, And titanium as a material obviously didn't work out that well. Um, but using metal instead of plastic, and then once they got to aluminum... And then going to unibody, it's, you know, there have been definite breakthroughs and they've evolved, but it is, uh, there's never once really been a radical change since the titanium G4 power book. It really hasn't. And, and it's just, uh, I, I, I feel like they've gotten to the point where this is, you know, I forget the exact Johnny Ive words, but to, to reduce a product to its essence. I would say, I mean, I guess the air is kind of a radical change, but yeah. A little but bit. still, I know what you. I know what you mean. I mean, it's right. basically the same. Well, you know, it's like it's it's a screen and a keyboard, right? <laughs> right. But I feel like this round rectangle shape of of the current iPhone lineup is sort of given today's technology. This is it, you know. And yeah. they might change play with colors. I don't expect anything truly radical. And I think if you really want to get excited by and I always think it's, you know, for a lot, a lot, in many ways, it, when people complain about that, uh, and I don't want to say the guy who asked this question is, is saying this, but uh, a, lot of the, a lot of it is getting, trying, wanting to get excited about what it looks like before you even turn the screen on. You know, like, what is it just, does it excite you just as an object in your hand? Uh, and I get it. I mean, it would be nice if, you know, if something, you know, if you, if it was so different and new and clearly better that you were excited before you even saw what it looked like with the screen on, that would be better than that would be good. But I, I just don't see how that can happen, you know, every two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just natural for a maturing device. And we basically evolved it. Or they've basically evolved it to yeah, we can us, take credit. You and I can take our, some credit. based on our demand into something that is really just it's a screen. I mean, right. it's just a screen with a backing. Yeah. Well, and, and I think there's not much else you can do at that yeah. point. Well, and the other thing, you know, that they did with the iPhone 10 is I, I, I feel like it was a an instance of measure twice, cut once. Of okay, we're going to make. Uh, this, the single biggest change they've ever made to the iPhone from a, a how-does-it-work perspective. I mean, I, the only other thing I could think of would be going to retina screens, but that's sort of very much, by definition, how it looks. But the big change is getting rid of the home button. Mm -hmm. and Because the home button was central to the whole paradigm of how you used it. It was, you know, how you woke it up. It was, you know, launch an app. How do you get out? Hit the home button. Uh, 
And getting rid of the home button was truly a, a rethinking at the most fundamental level of the experience of how you use it. And I feel like they really took their time to get it right and decided, you know, is this actually a better overall experience than having a home button at the bottom of the screen? And uh, I feel like now that they've done that, I feel like it's, it has panned out. I still feel, and I wrote this on Daring Fireball a while back, I still feel that maybe some of the perceived, uh, not even perceived, the actual sort of slowness in iPhone sales in the last two years, I think to some degree can be attributed to people who who are reluctant to get rid of a home button-based mm. iPhone. Because mm -hmm. it's too new and different, and they're the sort of people who are—they're just regular people, and they're used to it, and they know that it works, um, and they know that Touch ID works, and Face ID sounds like something that maybe wouldn't work. You know, sounds too good to be true. Yeah. Um, but or you maybe know, you think it's creepy, or you know. right? It'll, but it'll happen over time, and I'm uh, personally 100% convinced that it's—it's it's a better paradigm for using the phone. Um, but now that they've done it, I really feel like it's even less likely that the basic shape or look of the phone is going to change. Yeah. The That's, only thing I can think of is, is, and I would, as someone who owns an iPhone SE, I would actually like to see this as, as something that's more informed by the form factor or, you know, just the, the yeah. edges of the iPad Pro. Yeah. 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 I would, I would kind of like that. Cause too. I love the feel of that. Yeah. I would kind of like flat sides again. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would also like to see them add a smaller model. Uh, I don't know how much smaller, but I would like to see. Yeah. I think the iPhone 10 and 10s size is too big to be the smallest iPhone. But by all accounts, this year's phones are the same size as, as last year's. There is no smaller iPhone coming in September, supposedly. I don't know. I would like to see them do that. Um, Lou Piper asks, what product currently in Apple's lineup do you believe will be the most influential in shaping the tech industry as a whole over the next 10 years? Looking back, it seems like the iPhone was the answer for the last 10 years. I would say there's, it's undisputably for the iPhone for the last 10 years. The iPhone is yeah. truly the most world-changing computer product ever made by any company. And I, I, I can't even see how somebody could argue with it. Every single... Almost every single person I know carries either an iPhone or a very iPhone-like Android <laughs> device. I, I linked to, in, in, uh, in my uh, retrospective links on looking back on Johnny Ives' career, I linked to uh, Walt Mossberg's 2007 review of the original iPhone, uh, which I thought, rereading it 12 years later, was incredibly spot on, like, Man, when you're writing an 800-word column for the, you know the Wall Street Journal mass audience explaining what this new iPhone is, it, it it really almost seems like he cheated, like he just wrote it now and like slipped it into the Wall Street <laughs> Journal CMS. Uh, every single thing that was great about the iPhone, he got. He completely nailed it with the software keyboard and said, this is controversial. And a lot of people don't think it's work. He goes, I, after a couple of days, I got used to it. it. It's not an issue. 
And I mean, how many thousands of words were wasted in 2007 and 2008 <laughs> oh on the, the, the damn keyboard? Yeah. Mossberg had it nailed after like six days with the iPhone, you know? Yeah. Um, but the other thing that really stuck out to me about it was there was a comparison chart that they pushed on the, put on the article where it was like, here's the iPhone against the competition. And it was like three, three other top smartphones. And it was the Blackberry, whatever, the Samsung Blackjack, which I, I always forget. Yeah. I always forget just how it was such a, you know, Samsung being Samsung before they started ripping off Apple, they ripped off Blackberry and even named their product the Blackjack. So it would start with the word black uh, and a Palm Trio something or another that had a like a pencil, pencil diameter antenna sticking out of the top of it. Which they look, I mean, Jobs himself compared, you know, put the similar products up on the slide at the iPhone introduction and in talking about, you know, hey, they put these, uh, you know, they all have these keyboards and they all have all of these buttons. And one thing with all these hardware buttons is you can't change them depending on the application context. We realized that, hey, we could do this. It's called software. And we'll just do it all in software, including a keyboard. And, you know, even he put that slide. But when you looked at it in, in the Wall Street Journal article, it's just, it's just preposterous how, <laughs> how closely the entire industry followed the iPhone's lead within a handful yeah. of years. Um, yeah. So for the next 10 years, hmm. And you can't even get a phone that looks like – I mean, we, that, does anybody make a phone like that anymore? No. You know, what's interesting is the only phones you can get that aren't – iPhone like are flip phones. The flip phone has survived, yeah. and you, yeah. I I see people not all the time, but sometimes surprisingly young. You know, I don't know if it's a hipster thing. I don't know if it's I, I don't it's know. A, you know, just not being drug thing, or not being into <laughs> like, technology uh, at I all. Mean, but but they're I, yeah. Like, like, if you go into a convenience store and buy a burner no. phone, it's probably one of those, right? Yeah, but nobody sells a BlackBerry style phone anymore that I know of. It's all you either go all the way back to a, just a simple flip phone with you know, a zero yeah. to nine keypad, or you've got, or nine, it's a blank screen. Yeah, it's thing. a blank yeah. screen. Hard to say for the next 10 years. I don't think there's anything yeah. like the iPhone on the market. Um, I mean, I th you can see a lot of people running around trying to copy AirPods. Yeah. I would say it's the wearables in general, the com mm -hmm. some combination of AirPods and the watch where it's not about a device in your hands. It's, you know, that it's wearable. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't think that AirPods or the watch or AirPods combined with the watch would have the direct influence on the next 10 years, the way the iPhone has, the way that we really can. No, just yeah. Say, this, I mean, it's not going to be, it doesn't seem like there's anything currently right. shipping that would but they're, have that but kind they're, of impact. They're, they're leading the way of making tiny little gadgets that are actually unix computers and doing mm -hmm. things that you could only do with a full-fledged ios computer running in them uh, that i think 10 years from now we'll look back and say that the the watch and the airpods were the start of this you know the fact that we have like six six different computers on us at all times you know in front of our eyes in our ears on our wrists etc cetera, etc cetera. so i would go with the, the wearables yeah. I find it funny too that the wearables uh get dismissed as a business. Uh oh, like yeah. in the, in the in the Johnny Ive <laughs> uh Johnny Ive is leaving Apple 
uh, trail of news stories. I know that I think it was Trip Mickle's piece for the Wall Street Journal. That was the one that Tim Cook objected to publicly <laughs> by, with an email like, did you see this? Uh, I didn't really mm-hmm. link to it on Daring Fireball because it seemed hard to get into without doing the full paragraph by paragraph takedown. And so it just it, it I punted on it. But I thought it was fascinating. Like the Wall Street Journal ran a story by Trip Mickle more or less pushing the line that uh, Johnny Ive has been checked out of Apple for years now. Uh, and then at some point was like, they haven't had a hit since the iPad. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I think I'm, I'm almost certain that if you just take Apple's wearables, although it might be wearables plus services, which is a little different, but just their wearables business and maybe wearables plus services alone would be a fortune 50 company like, yeah. it isn't the iphone but the ipad wasn't the iphone either so somehow the ipad has been grandfathered in as a hit product at this point even though like in its earlier years when it was actually selling better <laughs> it wasn't because it wasn't selling as well as the iphone as well as the iphone but now somehow the 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 apple bear uh line has includes the ipad as a hit but that's because it was, I guess, because it came out while Steve Jobs was still around. Right. And AirPods and uh, the watch don't, even though yeah. everywhere I go, <laughs> I see people <laughs> with the Apple Watch. And, and the watch has taken off as just as well as I think like iPods did in the air, the iPad. Yeah. If oh, I I definitely. I mean, like the first, yeah, I mean, like, and I don't know if, you know, it's probably going to, it's not going to keep going like that necessarily, but it might top out, but it's <laughs> it's still doing extremely well. Uh, I think it was Horace Deju who who yeah. made the case. I mean, that, he noted that he made the case that the Apple Watch is now bigger than the iPod ever was, even at peak iPod. And I mm-hmm. think it has much better legs. I think the watch is here to stay. I mean, I, I think it might, uh, uh, you know. And again, naturally so, just like we were talking about with the iPhone, it might turn into something that people don't upgrade as frequently and and as well they should expect i think when you buy a 350 dollar watch you should expect to get more than two years out of it and, and yeah. i realize it's not just a watch it is different it, it it's you know it's more a thing on your wrist that can function as a watch but uh, you know Again, I'm, I'm sure Wall Street people would love it if people were buying a new watch every year, but it's 350 bucks, which is almost certainly the most expensive watch most people have ever bought in their life. You know, you should expect to get more than two years out of it. Yeah. But boy, oh boy, I see, I, I see so many of them. And oh yeah, yeah. And and, in, and across, I mean, yeah, I don't want to stereotype people again, but um, like across the economic background seemingly yes. too oh i think so too i definitely think so i see uh, you know i mean i see baggers at the grocery store yeah. wearing them yeah uh and it's it people really like it and i think for people like that i remember reading there was a story I, i'll probably never find the link but um i specifically remember it is and it was a great story but service industry people bartenders mm-hmm. servers grocery baggers uh, it's super popular with them because they're not allowed to check their phone during work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so they can wear the watch and still get notifications and still mm-hmm. you know see what people are texting them and maybe do a quick tap thing to send a quick response or something like that. Yeah. Um, so if anything, I, I would actually say, you know, in terms of like the demographics, it is it it, it is definitely not like an elite uh 
purchase or something like that. It, it's really, dem, you know, democratic. People really yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen people complain about AirPods the same way that, oh, yeah. it's, you know, they're so expensive that nobody, you know, only the rich can afford them. And that's like, I see mail carriers with them. I see everybody with them. I actually was, I was out for a walk the other day when the heat broke and I actually was like, I, mean, I got to get out of this house and go somewhere. I should have actually kept track, but I was just doing it like a rough estimate. But, uh, I am convinced. I don't think it was biased. I, I I really, I didn't do like an exact tally, but I saw more people with AirPods than I saw with corded white headphones. Mm-hmm. And you know, of yeah. course, maybe you know, and people who are cynical can argue well, well, of course, because they took out the headphone port, and if they hadn't removed the headphone port to <laughs> to convince people to buy AirPods, it wouldn't be that way. Um, but I, well, yeah, I suppose I don't know. I, 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 I cannot believe how many years of my life I spent tangled up with the cable between. Oh my God! I, yeah, I'm way happier with AirPods. Uh, so much happier, and I listened so much more. I listened to, uh, I, I'll just even on a five minute errand, I'll, I'll go and listen to five minutes of a podcast. You know, let me get five more minutes in. Uh, whereas, yeah. it, you know, in the corded era, I just wouldn't couldn't be bothered. I was like, oh. I can't even talk to my wife anymore. She's got them in all the time. <laughs> Same here. It's actually really improved my marriage. <laughs> Simply on the grounds that a lot of what I say annoys my wife. And I, like, I'm not saying that it's better because we don't communicate. It's just that a lot of the stupid stuff I say, she doesn't hear anymore. And then I, I, I don't get it. And then we do, when we do talk, we're talk, we almost always talk about podcasts. <laughs> Uh, All right, let me take one more break here. Thank our third and final sponsor of this very special summer episode of the talk show, Eero, E-E-R-O. Look, the single router model just doesn't work for our increasingly high bandwidth world. It's simple physics, like light waves, Wi-Fi waves don't go through walls well. Imagine asking a light bulb in your living room to light your master bedroom. Wouldn't work. Maybe that's not a perfect analogy, but... It's close. And the other thing is more and more what we want to do throughout our house is streaming high def video. It's not just about getting your text message or being able to send an email. If you want to watch high def video from Netflix or who iTunes, whatever it is, you need good bandwidth. And we want to do it everywhere in the house. I take my iPad with me everywhere during the day when I'm reading and watching stuff. I want to be able to watch the Yankees in high def anywhere I go. I want to. I want to do it on my on my deck. Uh, something like Eero, a distributed system with multiple devices that create a mesh network, is the way to do it, and it's especially easy to do. You just get them, you plug them in, you set the one up, you connect it to your your cable modem, you just plug the other ones into the wall. You use the Eero app, and boom, they're all together. They're all talking, and they saturate your whole home, top to bottom, left to right with one distributed network. It's really great. I use it here. You're listening to me talk to John Moltz right over an Eero network. Um, You can really install an entertainment-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. You just download the app, and they got an iOS version, which I'm guessing 99.98% of you would use. They have an Android version, too, and it'll walk you through each step of the process. Quick, easy, painless. They also offer absolutely incredible customer service. You can call and get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert within 30 seconds. So if you have any worries, whether you've got it and you're trying to set it up, or you're curious, you want some help trying to pick how many hardware, how many Eero devices you want for your house based on the size of your house or the layout of your house, you can call them up 30 seconds, 
They'll walk you through everything and they'll tell you exactly how many eros are right for your home. Just call. Uh, it's a great product. I really love it. It never goes out. It is super reliable. You never have to think about it again. They've got a special deal for you, listener of the talk show. Go to eero.com, E-E-R-O.com slash the talk show. And at checkout, enter that same code, the talk show, and you can get an Eero base unit and two beacons and one year of their Eero plus service with special code, the talk show. That's a great package, by the way. The base station would be the thing you plug into your router. The beacons are the little nightlight type things. Put them around your house. That's a great package. That's probably all you need, depending on the size of your house. If you need an extra beacon, you can just tack that on. But anyway, special deal. 100 bucks off with one year of Euro Plus. Go to Eero.com slash the talk show. Oh, what else? Anything else that's, that's on this list of questions? Spot I want to ones. check my biases. I looked up the average uh, salary for uh, mail carriers, and it's $46,000 a year. There you go. So, that's, uh, not, that's not nothing. No. <laughs> yeah. But still, it's not like, yeah. Will we ever see, here's one from Dan Studnicki. Will we ever see iMessage and FaceTime go cross-platform? I would say maybe. <laughs> I would say more likely for iMessage than FaceTime. I don't, I don't know why I would feel that way. Um, hmm. uh, I definitely, I know for us, face, FaceTime was the one that he said was, was going to go. be open source, but yeah, it, it was got, that source. jobs just pulled that out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I've said this before. I know for a fact, I know someone who was on the, I'm on the FaceTime team and yeah. they, they learned of it going open source when he said it in the keynote <laughs> and they were like, wait, what? And then they're like quick, like looking at the source like, code. Well, like, we we can't, do that. And they're like looking at the source code. And like, well, we can't, uh, we this, we can't open source X, Y, and Z, you know, and, and yeah, it was, right. it's no surprise that it never actually went open source. And then there was a lawsuit from some troll that had a goofy patent that never should have been granted that, that made it even worse. Even without that, though, I don't know that it ever would have happened. I do know, I, I heard years ago, somebody, there was a rumor a couple of years ago, it was on the uh, Mac Daily News website, <laughs> which when I linked to it, I wrote, you know that site I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I... <laughs> I wrote because, you know, I like to give credit to writers. I like to say, you know, I don't just say the New York Times reports, colon, here's the block quote. I'll say, you know, uh, Jane Smith reporting for the New yeah. York Times, colon. Uh, right. I like to give credit. I think bylines matter. But I, I <laughs> Mac Daily News has been around forever. I think it's been around a lot longer than Daring Fireball. But whoever it is who runs it has always been anonymous. And so I wrote from whoever the hell it is who writes Mac Daily News. <laughs> uh, but he apparently had a tipster like two or three years ago say that Apple was going to, or right before WWDC, was going to announce iMessage for Android. Obviously, that was incorrect. It didn't pan out. But I don't find it incredible. I find, and, and I, I happen to know that they at least circulated designs within the company of what iMessage for Android would look like with the various designs sort of going on a scale of 1 to 10 of being the most natively Android-y to the most, at the other end, the most direct copy of the iMessage app, even if it's not idiomatic Android UI. Um, I, I know that they circulated that, but whether that means that they were actually close to considering it or it's just like, you know, this is just a, a sane thing to do in case 
the powers that be decide to do it. I, I don't know how close they ever got to actually doing it. You know, the counter argument would be that the cynical argument would be that Apple sees iMessage as platform lock-in. And I actually lock-in, think, you know, yeah. I don't even think you have to be a cynic. There is a, definitely a, a lock-in angle to this that, you know, and uh, if you switch from iPhone to Android, it, it's not just the superficial green versus blue bubbles thing, although that is a factor for some people. Um, but, you, you know, you, group chats don't work as well when everybody's not on iMessage. Um you don't get end-to-end encryption, which is a very strong privacy thing. I mean, you know, it, 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 there's a definite factor there. But I don't think that that really – I think that if Apple – in the hypothetical world where Apple does release iMessage for Android, I don't think it's going to adversely affect iPhone sales. I really don't. I don't think that there's going to be any no. – even a measurable – Not in a – yeah, not in any measurable way. Yeah, I, I, I really think that maybe in like our sphere of tech – writers you know there might be some people who who do the um you know write for a site like the verge say that it isn't really an apple focused site but sort of treats apple as one of several technology companies where there might be some people who maybe have been holding on to an iphone as their primary phone and switch to a google pixel or something once there's iMessage for android but i think that the number of people who that qualifies as that is is you know, a tenth of a percent rounding error overall. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it would. And I think that there's an argument for Apple doing it on the lines of like Apple Pay and Apple Card and sending payments and stuff like that, where, it, it, you know, they don't really monetize iMessage. There's certainly no advertising, thank God, in iMessage. <laughs> um, but it's not entirely a loss leader at this point because they do make some money whenever people do send money to each other using Apple pay over iMessage. And so I could see that there might be an art, you know, that would be to me the argument inside Apple for doing it Mm -hmm. is that the, the amount of money they can make by skimming a 10th of a percent off these credit card and debit card transactions of Apple pay would, would more than compensate for the handful of people who might be tempted to switch to Android, if only because of iMessage. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I, I feel differently about FaceTime. I, 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 I guess it's possible. I, I maybe, you know, and they are sort of, they, they're, they're different apps, but they're clearly sort of hand in hand in terms of, you know, FaceTime is the video and audio component of iMessage, you know. So I, I would say, I, I could see it going anyway. I could see, you know, 30 years from now when, when I'm Mick Jagger's age and we're still doing the talk show, we're still, there is no, still no iMessage for Android. All right. I could see them doing it this fall, you know, as a surprise announcement. I, I really could see this one going either way. But I wouldn't put too much weight in the idea that Apple values the lock-in so much that they wouldn't even consider it. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I, I, I would think that they wouldn't do it just because... It doesn't give them. What is it? I mean, I like. I don't. I'm not convinced that that amount of money is worth it to them, or or that it's that much. I guess I don't know, or that they. I mean, but they don't know the spreadsheet. So, yeah. Uh, hmm. What else do we have here? Any other good questions? I'm I'm scrolling down here. I feel like we're getting uh, towards the end. Yeah. Here's a question. Fairy Ploger asks: Were there any subjects off limits in your interview with Craig? and uh jaws 
Although he spelled it Josh. I'm going to chalk that up to uh, autocorrect. Although you would think if anybody could make sure Jaws gets through (laughs) autocorrect, it's Greg Jaws. Every once in a while, I find an Apple thing that it it seems to screw up. I'm always surprised when that happens. Right. And, and and even if it if it does screw up Jaws, Jaws himself might not notice because surely 90% of the people he iMessages have him in their contacts already. And and so it would it would pick up the correct spelling from there. It's a lot simpler than you might think. There are there are no uh I've never once in all the years starting with uh Schiller's first appearance on my live show 5 years ago, whenever that was. Uh I do talk to Apple PR beforehand. Uh, I don't give them my questions beforehand, but I do talk about what I want to talk about. Um, basically, I think for the same reason that on like TV talk shows, the producers go through questions with the guests just so that they're ready. Uh, I don't want to surprise somebody and not just have them not be ready to answer something. But that's different than giving giving the questions in advance. Uh, but I've never been told X, Y, and Z are off limits. Uh, nothing, mm-hmm. not even one thing. Uh, you know, I, I would imagine there are certain. I would imagine there are certain. I mean, you're not going to ask what 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 are this fall's iPhone is going to look like, right? Right. You know, I mean, you're not bothering with stuff that you know that they're not going to answer, right? And I and yeah. that's not that's not like I mean that's just like <laughs> trying not to waste time exactly because it's you know there's a limited amount of time. I also want to, it to be entertaining. Um, you I mostly did, ask them about me, right? Yeah, for the most part, especially this year, <laughs> it was mostly about mostly about you. Um, <laughs> you know, that's fine, and I'm fine with that. The keyboards were an interesting omission this year. I didn't bring up the MacBook keyboards. Um, part of it too is the, that the nature of the live show every year after WWDC is often, you know, and this year was a perfect example where there was so much stuff announced at WWDC the day before that it, it you know, officially the show is supposed to be an hour long. I think this year's was like 90 minutes. So going, even going half an hour over the allotted time, we still only covered some of the stuff that was announced the day before WWDC. And, what were they going to say about the keyboards? You know, that's the thing. And, yeah. you know, they they were they would repeat. I know what they would do. They would repeat the talking points from the two weeks before WWDC when they announced the third gen keyboards and right. the the new quote material uh, and say that this you know the vast majority you know this only affects a small number of Mac users. I, I I wouldn't say that would be a waste of time. It was it was something I considered bringing up. You know, mm-hmm. and might have if there had been. Less WWDC news, but nobody said to me before the show, don't, don't talk about the keyboards. Never came up. Uh, I, I really think it's more or less a mutual trust, that they trust that I'm not going to waste their time with questions they can't answer, um, but that, you know, I, I, I can ask questions that are hard or difficult. It's, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. I feel like this year's show, I did a yeah. good job. I hate to pat myself on the back, but I feel like I did a good job. And, and it's... it's um... Because you have them then, right, you're mm. you're more inclined to talk about the stuff that just happened, right? Yeah. And particularly in a in a year where there's a lot of pretty exciting stuff like this year, it's it just seems I mean, maybe people want want 
you just stick it to them more. Or yeah, something, that's but... what that's what some people want. Some people want yeah. me to really, you know, to burn all the bridges and right, <laughs> really, <laughs> so they'll never come back. Right, make them really uncomfortable. <laughs> but make them really uncomfortable for an hour with a bright spotlight right. on their face. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and it's different too than if I were writing a feature article and it was like, hey, you get to follow Jaws around for two days. And write, mm-hmm. you know, like a 5,000 word profile, I, I, I would be much more inclined to ask questions like that then than in a live show where it needs to be entertaining and, and yeah. a, a bad line of questioning that I stick with could take the air out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it seems like if not at this one, at least at previous ones, there have been questions that you've asked where they, you know, there's there's a lot of laughter from the audience and they right. smile and, you know, and. <laughs> Right, and then give you, and then give you a pat answer. Yeah, yeah. you know, to something that's, right. but that I they don't ask. really want to talk about that right. much. <laughs> right, very true. That's very true. Uh, Mike Flegel asks, "How did the two of you, Johns, meet?" I don't remember. <laughs> I really don't remember. Uh, Probably Mac. I don't remember exactly either. I remember us having a having like a drink and a burger or something at one of those at the at one of the bars down near Moscone. Yeah. That seems like one of the first times. Yeah, probably like a um, Mac. We Mac, spent Mac, any any amount of time together just like talking. Probably a MacWorld Expo. Yeah, it was definitely a MacWorld Expo. Yeah, because yeah. I didn't go to. I mean, I've she's a. I've only been to one WWDC. I haven't been to many. That's right. for sure. Um, yeah. If, so it, that was and that was um, the first the first MacWorld that I went to was two thousand seven, which was quite the one to go to because <laughs> <laughs> i sat next to originally i was sitting next to glenn fleischman and after it was over i said why are they all like this <laughs> <laughs> and i don't i don't think i can't remember if we i went and saw you in syracusa do um the talk show i guess no it was right? cable sasser right Oh, cable, cable. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cable. Yeah, it was cable. Yeah. Um, and what's funny was I I hadn't met Merlin then. I didn't even. I don't even know if I knew who Merlin was. And I did a little video like on <laughs> like some crappy camera that I had. And as I, and I panned the audience, you know, like the people yeah. standing around watching. And I watched a couple, like a few years later. I was like, oh, there's Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that he was standing like five feet away from me. I forget if we were even calling him podcasts at the time, but Merlin was doing some short form audio stuff. Yeah, and so he interviewed me and Jason Snell, and this was the day of the keynote. And then, but we were over in the expo hall, so you know, probably be like one o'clock. And I think Cable and I did our live show that afternoon, the you know the very day. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. it could just I just I, honestly, I've never I I couldn't get higher doing drugs <laughs> than I was <laughs> thinking about this iPhone. But Merlin did like a five minute interview with me and Jason Snell. I'll have to see if I can find a link to it. But it was amazing because we started just talking about the iPhone and within five minutes, Snell and I had convinced ourselves that Apple has to do an SDK and there's they've got to be able to, you know, like we mm-hmm. we just went to we just like completely predicted the app store. <laughs> Yeah. It was absolutely <laughs> within five minutes. It was like five dense minutes of of really it's predictions that panned out very well. I'll have to see if I can find this. Yeah. And I can't so I can't remember if we managed to get if that, that was when we uh, yeah, probably drink. Probably yeah. Is. Yeah. yeah. It seems like maybe it was. And like we knew each other we knew each other through email Yeah, definitely. Before yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Uh hmm. 
I'm trying to think here. I'm, I'm running out of questions. I thank everybody who asked them here. If I forgot, uh, if I if I've missed any good questions, I'll save them up for the next one. We'll probably I'll probably need to do another Q and A over the summer just to just to fill fill our time. Any others that really stick out to you, or should we wrap this up? Um. No. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks I mean, to everybody. Oh, they're, they're, a, all, they're all wonderful questions. I want to yeah. thank everybody for. <laughs> uh, here's here's a here's a good one. Just as a recommendation, have you seen the movie, the General Magic movie? Somebody Groot's. Oh no, I haven't seen that yet. I don't think it's. Out, I think the reason most people haven't seen it is I don't think it's out it's on not home video. Yet. I actually saw yeah. it at a at a screening here in Philadelphia, and it's okay. It's well worth watching if you're a, a fan of what you think the General Magic movie might be like. Uh, it's uh, like I don't, you know what I mean. Like if you're a nerd who likes '90s nostalgia, uh, right? It's it's really great. I don't think my wife would have enjoyed it at all. Um, yeah. is, is what I'm trying to say. Like, right, right. Uh, it was really interesting. I don't think that the General Magic product was i i think the movie sort of oversells how far ahead of the time it was i think they were on the right track but uh, i don't think i think they lost fair and square to the palm pilot and the same say i've always thought the same thing about the newton as well as much as i love the newton and there were yeah. parts of it that were brilliant and way better than what palm had and there were parts of the general magic system that were better than what the newton and palm had i think the one thing palm got right in hindsight that people seem to overlook is that the thing could fit in your pocket. <laughs> and right. I, it sounds stupid, but <laughs> the Newton was too big to fit in a pocket. And so were the general magic devices. Uh, and duh, <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> even the name Makes sense now, even the name palm was, you know, kept them focused, you know, like where does this device go when you use it? It fits in the palm of your hand. It's, you know, um, and I never owned a General Magic device. Uh, I, I think the I think their user interface was a little too cutesy, real world, where they they actually took the quote desktop metaphor of the Mac and went like it's not quite skeuomorphism in this sense of textures because it was still a black and white screen, but they literally had like a three dimensional desk. And the desk had, it looked like a video game more, you know, it was in three dimensions and it, it, there's a desk and there's a telephone on the desk and you would tap the telephone on the desk to like mm -hmm. open up the phone app. And you know, yeah, that was a pretty common sort of, cause that was like Microsoft Bob, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, in the general magic one, having been largely designed by former Mac team employees at Apple was obviously way more tastefully done than the Microsoft Bob interface. Sure. But just the idea that, oh, you know, in order for people to understand it, it yeah. has to look like yeah. things that they know. Yeah, like you're literally playing a video game of being in in an office. <laughs> <laughs> but like, they, and nothing, it's not like it's, Leisure Shoot Larry where funny things yeah, happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was literally, you're just <laughs> calling your dentist to make an appointment. <laughs> and you're opening an actual book to find the dentist number and stuff like that. Oh, here's one. We can't go. We can't finish without Gus Mueller's question. Moltz's prediction of Apple-made sex bots has yet to, yet to come to fruition. What's up with that? Is the project still going on? And what's the code name for it? I, I, I can't. I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> Talk about predictions. Due to some, due to some legal troubles. 
I am pretty proud that I, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm the first person, um, but, uh, I, I feel like I'm probably up there, uh, to, to say the word sex bots on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I got interviewed, somebody interviewed somebody from NBR in, interviewed me um, after uh, one of those. One of those. Uh, I don't know if it was that that one where we met, or if it was the one after that. Um, I think it was the one after. I think it was the 2008 <laughs> MacWorld uh, called me to interview me about. Said, and she called me back later and she said did you say sex bots <laughs> you're like, like yeah yeah robots you can have sex with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks <laughs> just wanted to fact check right because uh, you don't want to screw somebody on that <laughs> my editor wanted me to call back <laughs> yeah you don't you don't want to attribute that quote to somebody and right, have it turn right. out it wasn't sure. what they actually said make sure i know what you're talking about here right Although it would make for one of those really funny like corrections of the year, yeah. <laughs> an earlier version of this article. <laughs> <laughs> See, I always just thought that you know if anybody is going to make a robot that you're actually going to want to have sex with, it should be Apple because nobody else is going to do it well enough. <laughs> no, nobody else. Can you trust anybody else to keep your exactly. interactions private? <laughs> it all st- also privacy. Also yeah. privacy. It all stays on device. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, John Maltz, it's a pleasure having you on, as always. Hope you have a good rest of your summer. People can... Oh, uh, yeah. well, me too. Uh, our, our, our mutual I got to get back outside. <laughs> our mutual pal, Dan Morin, just got married. You were, you were there a lot, with right. a lot of yeah. our friends. So congratulations yeah. to Dan, if, if you're listening. Uh, and you've got a... How many podcasts do you have with Dan Morin? I have uh, two podcasts with Dan Moore, and I have uh, The Rebound, which we talk about similar stuff to this right. podcast, and then I also have Biff, which we talk about superhero TV shows and movies. Yeah, you renamed that one, right? That was used to be called... Well, like, it's a, yeah, we sh- well, we finished the... Well, we shut down the old one, which was uh, the Speedy Arrow cast, because yeah. Arrow was ending uh, this year, and um, started up a new one. Yeah, there you go. Biff. But it's the same crew. It's, it's me and Dan and Guy English. Yeah. Mostly you and Dan. <laughs> last week yeah <laughs> and everybody depends on how many drinks guys had <laughs> uh my thanks to you my thanks to our sponsors let me see if i could do them off the top of my head we had eero and express vpn and jamf now three great sponsors uh my thanks to them have a great uh have a great rest of your summer john okay you too <laughs>